they find this thing that um, is a little bit weird to the norm, and and that they find their identity in that. And then when you get into that, and you all of a sudden there's morphs and there's different things, and you can express what you like and you don't like in that. All of a sudden, there's a lot more identity involved. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. And I saved it before it started over and oh, it turned off. But okay, well, call notes recording. Well, call now. notes recording and we're now. Live. So hopefully that's. Sorry, I ruined that. We're eight minutes late. It's my fault. All right. Yeah, so besides the whole power <laughs> thing, me and Riley got back again on time, I think. And then Melissa was out babysitting. I, I so told you to she start didn't. without me. I know. But. And Evan said finally. Whatever. <laughs> I have no excuse. No. So, no words. I guess we'll start with um, t-shirts are available on portcitypythons.com. Yeah, everything... That you put in towards the t-shirts goes to support the podcast and keep everything going on that we do here. What else do we usually say? Amazon links. Amazon links are in the description below. They are on the podcast description as well as the descriptions on all of our YouTube videos. And then that is really it. Um, This week, was it during the week? I think it was during the week. Dallas and Amanda Rua came over. They were going to the International Herpological Symposium. So thank you guys for stopping by and checking out the collection. And we also did some herping. You went herping with them? Well, yeah, we went up to the the DFW Reptarium because we were like, damn, we've got this weird like three to four hour window going on. Okay. So it's like we need to do something. So we went to the DFW Reptarium. We walked around there for a little while, and then we're like, okay, we still got to do something. (laughs) And then uh, we were up there, so we went to that reserve that we used to live across. By the colony? Yeah. Okay. And then I wish I knew the name of it so I could actually Uh, let people know. We know it's the colony. Maybe it's better that people don't know. But um, (laughs) we found... uh, it was hot as fuck, first of all. It was like 104 degrees, and it was like 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, I wasn't really expecting much, but we got a ribbon snake. Well, I needed to like jump down a giant sand dune thing. and like, oh, I'm so glad I wasn't there. Yeah, take my shoes off and everything, <laughs> and then I went, and then went to go get the ribbon, and then he like took off into this root system, and I couldn't catch him. So, so you saw a ribbon snake. Yeah, well, I reached out and... <laughs> <laughs> and I missed him with my hand open, okay. you know, and he okay. slithered through. And wow, great story. So that was our herping. <laughs> that was all wow, we saw. so cause... anticlimactic. Yeah, whatever. But then we we hung out with Tony Jerome and Brandon Sander, which you weren't there for as well. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we had some good food, checked out Tony's collection and hung out. So I want to thank everyone who took part in all in of this. Very long story. All of this very long story, great reptile day. Also, thank you guys for the well, beer. One of my favorites, Andy Gator. That's hard to find here in Texas, even though it's only one state over. But, you know, Texas is stupid like that. There you go. So thank you guys <laughs> for the beer. There's a bottle opener right there. And today we have on Riley Jimison of Riley's Reptiles. 
Riley, could you give us a little overview of where you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm uh, now in Sacramento, in Santa Barbara. Um, I keep mostly carpet pythons, but have Brazilian rainbow bows and a few other odds and ends. Um, I've been breeding for about five years, but really have been interested in reptiles since I was probably eight or nine or so. Um, I used to be a zookeeper before I moved up here. Um, and now I'm a lab technician for, uh, a company that does a lot of soil testing on, uh, levy work and stuff to make sure the levees that are being built in in existence are, uh, basically up to, up to par with strength and everything. We're just doing a lot of soil sampling. So it's Mm -hmm. not as exciting, but, um, I moved up here because my girlfriend got a job at the Sacramento Zoo. We were both keepers down in Santa Barbara and uh, we wanted to make a change. She was the first one to get a, a real good um, sort of opportunity outside. And we just made the leap um, and I just rolled the dice on it and we landed on our feet and it worked out. So that's where we're at currently. Right on. So can we go back a little bit and yeah. did you always grow up and want to be a zookeeper or in the zoo community or the zoo profession rather? Um, to be honest, as a kid, I didn't really um, think about employment so much. Um, I grew up going to the San Francisco Zoo like frequently. Um, my mom uh, is very much uh, into you know, nature and animals. I've grown up with dogs, cats, birds, rabbits, horses, lizards, frogs, fish, everything in the house from as far back as I can remember. Um, and so I've always been into animals, but the zoo thing didn't really sort of uh, catch my attention until I was just about finished with college uh, at UC Santa Barbara. And I was it's like a year out from graduation about what I was going to do. And my mom was pushing me to go at least just look at the zoo and see what volunteer opportunities it were. So I finally did that, started volunteering, um, really got a, a good handle on what zoos were about, which was uh, a complete eye opener. I mean, there's so much more to zoos that uh, people don't see. So that was really cool to learn and I found out that's what I wanted to do. And so I just volunteered uh, for as long as I could because that's kind of the best way to, to get your first start um, unless you know somebody sort of a thing, I guess. And, uh, and I think a week or two before I was about to leave, like I had, my lease was up, I was packing up, I was getting ready to move back home and call it quits. Um, the zoo director called me on my cell phone at home and offered me a job. So I said, heck yeah. Great Um, timing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was, oh, I was, I have a lot of anxiety and at that time I was probably a really, a really, uh, unpleasant person to be around cause I was stressing pretty hard. So that's when I sort of decided like, this is what I wanted to do. Um, and I do miss it, uh, a bit now, but I mean, I, at least I still have my animals at home to get my fix sort of a deal. So if an opportunity were to arise for me to get back into it, I wouldn't even think twice, but, um, you know, as long as, as that as long as i still have this um you know i get my fix sort of a deal so did your collection start growing before or after you got that job at the zoo um so when i was in college before i even started volunteering 
um, soon as I was out on my own and out of the dorms, first thing I did was um, <clears throat> start looking around for a reptile that I could get, something affordable, something that uh, piqued my interest. And I actually went and uh, found a, a water dragon, Chinese water dragon for sale on Craigslist. And uh, man, I didn't know anything much about them at the time, but I knew that that animal was in rough shape. I mean, they had no lights, no UV. The water had like three weeks worth of feces in it. Mm. Uh, it was dry, no humidity. Its pelvic bones were protruding from its skin. It had a broken femur and it was missing about two thirds of its tail. It had rubbed off the entire front of its face. And I naively paid these people for it. I should have like chewed them out and just taken it. Um, but anyway, long story short, I got the animal home it, and I was driven to learn everything possible. Hooked the animal up, built waterfalls, upgraded him. You did a full transformation, became a huge healthy water dragon and lived you know, another eight years. Um, and so at that point I was like, okay, I need to start keeping more reptiles at home. Um, and before I started at the zoo, when I, uh, back into keeping them at home at that point. So I had gotten him and then I got, um, a Brazilian rainbow boa at a show. I discovered reptile shows. I don't remember how <laughs> I discovered them, but I remember seeing like, something online or a flyer maybe and i was like wait they have conventions about these things i didn't know anybody who wanted to go nobody who kept i was like i'm just going so i drove down for the day and i walked in the front door and it was pomona actually wow <laughs> great first show <laughs> yeah so i walk into the door at pomona and i literally like you know pay my 15 bucks or whatever get my wristband and i walked in and i just kind of went oh shit <laughs> 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 and I just like I did the full lap around probably uh -huh. two or three times then up and down the middle and I was like oh my god and the, and then after that I got with a Brazilian rainbow boa I went to another show a month later walked out with a black tail creeper spending months obsessing on every piece of reptile content I could um, and then that's about all I had when I started at the zoo and then uh, I learned about all the breeding programs and different species there and it just downhill so how long or how long ago was that and how long did it take you basically from just starting to get where you are now um so my uh, my first reptile acquisition in my adulthood was probably when i was like 19 when i grabbed that water dragon again i'd had him a bunch when i was a kid um but at that point 19 so nine nine years ago i started at the zoo uh seven years ago mm -hmm. so um yeah i would say i started really putting animals into the house around 2011 what exactly did you do at the zoo and what was your position um so i got hired on as an apprentice keeper in the reptile department um, the way Santa Barbara was organized, it was birds. Well, at first, the, the birds and the reptiles were together, but they split that shortly after I started. Um, so it was birds, reptiles, mammals, and elephants. And within mammals, there's big cats um, as kind of its own thing. So I was in the reptile uh, department, which took care of 
everything from piranha, amphibians, turtles, alligator came in, um, the, the snakes, uh, every, everything. We even had a, a couple birds on our line for a while, so I, I had the pleasure of really getting to know cockatoos for a while, which was fun. Um, but yeah, just all reptiles and amphibians and invertebrates. Did you learn more or get exposed to more animals via the zoo or via the reptile shows when you were making those first couple acquisitions? Um, probably more at the zoo because I got to see and be around a lot of the things that you just definitely can't get your hands on in California. Um, as far as crocodilians and venomous go, I got to work with a lot of different venomous. Um, so that was neat. Uh, um, some of the more they're available in the hobby, but not like readily available. Like I was working with monkey tail skinks before I even really knew that they were, you know, not very available $1,200 or whatever they are. Um, but there are some, some common things, but there, yeah, there's some really odd things there like, uh, Madagascar hog nose, um, we had Mata Mata turtle, piranhas, uh, yellow spotted Amazon river turtles, got into uh, caiman lizards. So there's some things that like you may see at a show here and there, but I don't know. I, I, there was also some really cool stuff that you see at shows that you don't see in zoos too. So right. I don't know. I, I liked I like being in both worlds because I sort of sat right in the middle of that fence. Like I I was in the zoo world. And then I discovered sort of the public or private sector, whatever you want to call it, and uh, got to live on on both sides of that. So that was fun. Um, okay, I have an off, half off topic question. So now, when you go into zoos, are you super like critical or super observant when you go into like new zoos since you like worked in it? If that makes sense. Yeah, I actually don't really look at the animals all that much um, <laughs> is it even fun for you to go in new zoos no man? it is it is it's really <laughs> cool because everything is different right so i've only worked in one but it was for six years so right. for six years this is my picture of zoos right go to one this picture expands a little bit and so it's really exciting because um you know zoos nowadays encourage a lot of networking so it was really fun to go see what other places did so now, even though I'm not in them, I go and I, I look at their their signage, um, how they sort of uh, incorporate perimeters in the enclosures, but try and minimize the visibility of it because that's the whole point is sort of you know you know bringing as close to in a safe way as possible to those animals to make you feel like you're seeing them uh, in their their habitat. So I pay attention to sort of those those weird things that like you just wouldn't even think about like the signage where a rock is placed uh hot wire fencing uh i love that (laughs) um yeah i mean i guess i i'm probably not fun to go to a zoo with i was thinking that (laughs) i probably i'm probably the person where you like about 20 minutes okay you can just just (laughs) well it made me think of it because now that he does like video editing and stuff anytime we're watching a tv show you're so he's so annoying because he notices now he notices like all the camera angle like all the shit that (laughs) he'll ruin a tv show for me because he notices all this stuff i'm like god damn it i never would have thought about that until you told it oh yeah (laughs) well 
you can't watch a movie around my girlfriend and I that has any animal references, training, <laughs> behavior stuff. Oh, she just went and saw Jurassic Park without me, and that's a whole other sore subject. But she saw it with my aunt and my little sister. And they get back, and they're all talking about how wonderful it is. And she starts absolutely ripping on, like, <laughs> that's not how training goes. This is inaccurate. Those animals know. And it's just she like, knows exactly oh. how raptors are trained. <laughs> yeah. From and, experience. And without, a, without skipping a beat, like, I heard none of the dinosaurs had feathers. What kind of crap is that? And everyone's like, dude, Riley. I'm like, oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. So question on zoos. Why do multiple zoos have like outdated taxonomies still up and signage and shit? That always drives me crazy. Uh, It's usually because, um, at least in my experience, we had a whole department um, that was, well, I guess a team is probably more accurate. We had a, a graphics team that was comprised of people from different departments to make sure they got a varied, um, amount of input to try and make sure it was accurate but this was in response to exactly what you're talking about some signs maybe not being uh correct and and i guess my guess would be that the signage isn't controlled by the people who work with the animals and the people who are like eat read and sleep like that sort of taxes it's, it's education department which is probably Maybe worse that they're getting it wrong, education department. But anyway, we'll not we'll we'll brush that one aside. They're not animal people; they're educators. Um, so sometimes it just comes down to uh, maybe somebody who was involved just like grabbed a, a a resource that wasn't fully up to date online or whatever, or had a book and an encyclopedia in their zoo that wasn't fully up to date. Um, because I'll tell you, there were definitely signs in Santa Barbara where like, ah, this has changed a little bit, or the common name isn't quite that, and, and the zoo acknowledges it, but they're like, yeah, we would love to do that. But that means reprinting this design and this graphic costs about $300 to do on this sort of thing. There's this amount of turnaround time, and so there's a little bit of, of that sort of... Uh, business politics i suppose in there it's not just like uh let's change it and do it and get it but done. i mean i wish to, it were that streamlined you have to think about the percentage of people that are walking through there that know that give a shit right like yeah. half i would yeah. say even more than half probably 75 percent of the people that are walking through that do have no idea if it's updated or not it's you little 25 sure. percent who care sure. and who even notice like you know, half the people are like, "Ooh, Latin words, cool." <laughs> I mean, to get to get somebody reading the sign is usually a victory in itself. Obviously, <laughs> I hate to say it, but most people like pretty colors. I'm here for entertainment. I need to run the kids around till nap time. The football game's on at three. Like, right? You know, it is what it is. Um, and it's sad to say, but anytime we would hear somebody like reading a sign to their kids. I mean, you talk to any zookeeper, they're like, that's one of my favorite things to hear. That's like the best part of my day. We all turn around and go like, hey, give that guy a parent of the year award. He just read a sign to his kid. Sweet. <laughs> like, that's how rare it is. So, yeah. it is what it is. Um, is there any animal that you can't keep in, say... A setting in where you live right now but you worked with at the zoo that you would totally keep if there was no holes bar pretty much 
uh water monitors for sure yeah that was one of the last um big things for me i mean there's tons of species that um i would keep that are commercially available and are are not that i worked with at the zoo but i think water monitors left the most uh recent impression on me um i i was fortunate enough to rescue a yearling year and a half two-year-old maybe uh salvatore from the local humane society aspca or whatever it is um down um uh, a no-kill sort of contract trapper found him on the side of a freeway in a rain culvert in the middle of december when we're in this crazy like below freezing temperature spell and he was actually alive he just wasn't moving they found him and brought him to the humane society unfortunately this place had a heat lamp and a 20 gallon tank and they put him in that obviously they knew they they weren't equipped for that um he tipped a tail he was the 20 gallon tank but i got an anonymous message on um on some i think it might have been facebook from one of their volunteers or something like please don't tell anybody i told you this because i could lose my volunteership sorry if i've incriminated you at some point <laughs> um, you didn't say any names a few years ago so i hope not but um she basically tipped me off ahead of time and by the time I reached out to them, they're like, yeah, it's been seven days. He can legally be adopted out. The owner hasn't claimed him. So I drove down the morning on my day off and looked at him. I picked him up with a, a welding glove that I didn't end up needing because he was, you know, probably a little bit underheated. But he, I don't know. He was definitely somebody's pet at some point based on how well he looked given the circumstances called the zoo told my boss we had you know had previous meetings about trying to bring in some larger education lizards or display lizards for the zoo this obviously wasn't the route we wanted to go the zoos try to you know get animals from zoos just like safer than sorry make sure it's captive born and bred support the whole industry sort of thing but this just happened to be a good opportunity good uh you know positive thing to do for the community and it, he was healthy and they sent the vet out the vet and the vet tech gave him uh you know a good look over and he was in perfect shape so uh we made the call to try him out bring him in quarantine took him like a year, year before he was able to really um be tactile with us but he opened up after a couple months i mean the poor guy went from whatever he was living in to living on the streets to a ten ga- or twenty gallon tank at the Humane Society, to a quarantine tank that was too small, that he immediately bit me and kicked my butt in. So he got a bigger upgrade. So that was five. Then that tank got moved into a backup space. So that's the six change. And then he got moved into a semi permanent tank. So that was a display enclosure that was number seven. Then he finally got hooked up in the big adult enclosure. So he made eight enclosure changes over those three years. So the dude. like had just all this to adjust to all this stress and adversity and by the time i left he you know i could pet him i could pick him up i could hand feed him everybody on the team could work with him safely he's a big curious but very cautious animal because they're very smart and i mean he's just one of the most rewarding experiences of of my career um not just because of the involvement with that animal and their intellect but because of his backstory as well um he made for an awesome educational just even on display 
and uh, he's doing well to this day down there. So it's really cool. And uh, because my team and I were all very close when we left, we had like a big going away party and um, they told me that uh, uh, for like a going away present, they named him after me. So they named him Riley. I was like, oh, you guys are going to make me cry right now in the middle of a bar. <laughs> and, and then I did. <laughs> Not ashamed to admit it. That's awesome. So <laughs> you seem to we you mentioned before the show you have a Savannah monitor, so you're not like many of us are adverse to things with four legs, a lot of snake keepers because maintenance and just a million different reasons. Like so if you had if you had the space and time for that kind of thing, do you rather things with four legs? Do you like some of the monitors? Would you love to have them? Uh, I mean, I'm a snake guy through and through. I prefer snakes over lizards, but um, that doesn't mean I'm uh, I'm gonna like shut the doors on them. If I could, I would do aquatic turtles. I would do tortoises. I would do crocodilians. I would do monitors. I would do a whole room of tarantulas and centipedes and scorpions. Like I, I just, there's just so much out there. They're all fascinating. So I like them all. And I think that's probably the zoo's fault because I got to do a lot yeah. of that. <laughs> um, but you know, snakes are a little more feasible. Uh, they also happen to be at the top of my list as far as all that goes. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, I wish like it was 1950 and you could still have like a roadside fucking zoo and make a living. I don't wish it was 1950. So you, could, you could just like, you could just like have crocodiles in my, yeah. I don't wish it was 1950 at all. We can yeah, time maybe travel. Just, maybe just that aspect. <laughs> yeah. The, the pet crack part. Everything else, like, we'll just forget that. I mean, I feel like in small little towns, you can still do that. I don't know. I don't think it, there's it's a few happened. in Texas. In bumfuck Louisiana, you can definitely do that. Oh, yeah. It happened. You could definitely sure. still do that. Yeah. But I feel like that's like where um, the variety and stuff and like you charge people like five bucks to come through the door. That'd be so sick. <laughs> cool. mm-hmm. I mean, so many people come over and they're like, dude, you need to charge people to come see your place. I'm like, what? Oh, here. Hell no. <laughs> no. That's no, weird. No. <laughs> no thanks. But it's so cool having that variety and keeping it kind of fresh all the time. And I know that you keep a multitude of species as far as snakes go. So mm-hmm. let's hit on, um, I know you have Brazilian rainbow boas and you've bred Brazilian rainbow boas, correct? Yes, yes, I have. So, uh, where are you, uh, or how many, what would you call it? I forgot what the fuck they're called now. I wanted to say clutches, litters. <laughs> how many litters. litters have you had, and uh, what was your success uh, with them? I'm waiting on number two out of two. Um, I I sold a couple of adults that I had just because I didn't want to breed them. They weren't good quality. They're just kind of... I hate to say it because I really like them, but they just weren't like breeder quality. So I ended up only breeding one in 2016. And I bred her again this year to uh, a male from Dave Calling. And uh, so this will be my second litter, but two out of two is pretty good. She seems to repeat her same cycle, um, sort of hits her same timeline marks, although this year was, I think, a couple weeks later and set back. But... Um, yeah, so I've I've the two adults currently. I had a bunch more, but I've I've whittled it down to those two, and then I have uh, one holdback from the 2016 pair. I kept four holdbacks, but 
at one point I needed some money, so <laughs> I had some. But, um, this year I intend on keeping another pair and then hitting up. Uh, well, I'm on a waiting list for some high reds from Ike Leitner. Um, and then I need to get into Dave Pauling's playbook. He's got some good stuff there. But uh, I'm expecting this litter to drop between sometime uh, the end of July and middle of October. And so that'll be fun. I they're just they're just the best bows. I mean, you don't need morphs. There are morphs. There are. <laughs> but, and there's some cool ones, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of cool line bread stuff. Like Dave uh I'll say Dave Calling is he's the master rainbow bow man. Um he's got a lot of really neat things going on there, but yeah, I mean you don't need morphs necessarily. You could have dozens of animals that look uniquely different in wild type mm-hmm. so um, but this girl in 26 so she's uh, I guess you would call her an undocumented she was the best Craigslist find I've ever had um, the nice thing about rainbow boas uh, Brazilians in particular uh, if it looks like a duck walks like a duck quacks like a duck it's duck mm-hmm. um, so it's a rainbow boa so you can you can with confidence pick something up like that on Craigslist and, and know that it's not like a hybrid or anything. There are just some funky, wacky things out there. Yeah. But so I picked her up. I got a, a more of a, a blood red male from a friend of mine who was produced by Dave Collings Picasso line. And they produced a massive, massive litter of 34 live babies and one stillborn. And that's like twice the size of what a litter should be. I think average is 12 to 20. But that's because the previous owners power fed the crap out of her. Um, they were at, The guy who I purchased her from at one point told me that they were uh, live jumbo rats once a month, which is absurd yeah. uh, for a Brazilian. So her mass is what it is. Like you can't shrink her down per se. I've kept her lean. Um, definitely not feeding her jumbos. Um, so we'll see what this sort of like two year diet after breeding, uh, does as far as litter production goes. But I mean, she, she produced a ton of huge, healthy babies that year. And you said that you moved this year. So you have a successfully pregnant female right after moving. Right after moving and right after evacuating from fires twice in Santa Barbara, we wow. had fires going on from the Thomas fire in the hills up there. So I evacuated to Paso Robles for four days with the entire collection, came back home for two days, and then evacuated down to L.A. for four days and then wow. came back home. During the evacuation day, I just threw her and the mail together. And uh, they were actually locked up in transit on my way down. And they stayed <laughs> locked up for the four days. So I just left them together. I was like, sweet, I don't got to worry about y'all. You're all good. And I came home, and they were just like breeding machines for the next month and a half. I was like, oh, all right, cool. For those days that you were basically at other people's place with your collection, were they just at room temperature or like an yeah. ambient, a higher ambient temperature than normal? or? Was it even paid attention to? It was uh, at Travis Johnson's house. Um, you guys have had him on. Uh, they were just in uh, like pillowcases and tubs in his room, and his snake room stays pretty warm, so they're at ambient there. 
And then in uh, in L.A., uh, I stayed at Mike's house. Uh, Mike is the proprietor of ADD Reptiles, um, and he's a friend of mine and has plenty of space. So some the majority of them got put in racks, but mm-hmm. those boas had their own. I gave them a 41-quart tub and some pillowcases and stuff. And every day I check on them, they're just locked up, just like, man, we're good. Close the door. Leave us alone. I was like, "All right, sweet. I'll check everyone else. You're fine." And uh, and and I came home, and it was like nothing ever happened. We moved. It was like nothing ever happened. I got a whole list of all their breeding locks, and the majority of them are from after we moved. So, and then how long from those evacuations did you end up moving? Uh, that was in January. So maybe maybe like a month. Maybe like a month after. Yeah. Wow. So they had a lot of stuff going on <laughs> in one yeah, month. Yeah. I mean, it was bad. Um, I thought I got out of out of all of the, the two evacuations and the move scot-free. Uh, I should that a lot of issues would come afterwards, like sort of a, a ripple effect, because uh, just like is true to reptiles, they sort of show things later. Dixie. Um, mm-hmm. During the evacuation, I didn't lose a single animal. Um, all that happened was one of my geckos dropped his tail from the stress, one of my crested geckos, um, which I was super bummed about because that's the only gecko I've had drop a tail. So that was my perfect record. But, um, uh, and then I, we got home and everything was fine. And then we moved and everybody was fine. And as soon as we moved, I had three females take a nosedive on me, three carpet pythons, and one wow. of them I ended up having to euthanize, um, and she was like one of my favorite animals. I even have a, a painting of her, uh, my tiger jag. She just, it was during the middle of breeding season and cooling, and then we moved and she just tanked, and now I've got uh, other four-year-old, three and four-year-old females that are, they're, they're getting there, but, um, yeah, the stress of all of that. Uh, it's weird. Reptiles, they just show all that stuff late. Like, you just, everything seems good. You get them settled, and then boom, they just, it all catches up to them. So I'm working on that right now. Was it like it, respiratory infection type symptoms? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think um, being off being off heat during the winter um Santa Barbara doesn't get a cold winter, but during that time it was definitely below 50. So it was colder and then moving and the stress. If I think, I feel like moving um, creates a lot more stress on adult females than it does on males. Males tend to move in search of females. I feel like females tend to be a little bit more sedentary and have a a territory. So um, I've heard plenty of people you know, the stress is related to that on imports and sometimes how it takes like seven or eight years for import animals, even when brought in as babies to sort of acclimate. So, I mean, I, I couldn't really tell you there was no signs of it before. Like they were literally perfect during the evacuations, perfect during the move, perfect after the move. And then about a month after the move, it was like these three females just got hit in the face with something bad. And I'm just like sitting here still cleaning up the mess, I guess. What uh, kind of carpets were they? So the Tiger Jag was the first girl to pass away. Um, 
and then right now i have two females that are fighting strong right now uh one of them is a jungle jag and the other one is a zebra Okay. Uh, but they're all they're all females that would be cycling and, and showing sort of their like first adult uh, hormonal response to to nature's sort of cycle, and then to be doing all of this moving back and forth in the winter when it's cold, and they have like a safe spot and there's high stress and the the available climate that needs to be there isn't there. I think there's just a lot of variables that compounded to uh, to really put them in a, a, a tough spot so they're they're fighting it right now and you think part of it yeah. is that's kind of the season where follicle development may start happening and then this is happening while all the extra stress is happening and it's just a, too much energy sapped out of them yeah definitely and that tiger jag passed um because she didn't eat well the year prior so she didn't have big fat sores on her so uh, of the three of them, she was like the least equipped for such a scenario. So, all right. So we got way too far off topic. I want to get back to Brazilians. But, but... It's funny you say that. Oh, wait. I don't know. Oh, Sorry. microphone. I'm just saying it's funny you say that because y'all are off topic, but the chat is even way more off topic. They're talking about hysterectomies, I think. And yeah. yeah. Where's this chat? I want to see this. <laughs> so I guess we forgot. You can, we... you can go on our YouTube channel and then click on the live video. That's like the only way you can get to uh, it. We forget to you. explain that cool. to guests. I'll have to look at it after. That the live chat goes on. You guys always talk about it. It always seems like it's pretty lit in there. Um, sometimes, <laughs> definitely. But I've it used to be that it would go away automatically after the live stream is over. But now it stays. Now it stays up. All the but I've had to go take it, take some down because I can't. We can't have that up there forever. I think it's a little. I mean, yeah, literally right now we're talking about hysterectomies. But. But back to topics. Back to Brazilian Evan, rainbow. Oh, sorry. Evan asked which zebra. Oh. I guess which he's talking about. He knows which zebra is from him. Oh. I got I got her from him a couple of years ago. It's uh it's a Don Patterson zebra. She she did not take to the evacuation in the She's she's hanging in there right now, but her scales look like crap. She just kind of she she just stopped eating, and I'm not liking the direction she's going right now. Mm-hmm. So she's got a vet appointment, and so does the uh, jungle jag. Get them on something. I just I hate putting antibiotics in these animals, man. Like I know it's necessary at times, but yeah, dude, they don't like they recover but they're not the same after yeah. like antibiotics do some serious shit to their liver and especially because the jungle jag she's jag yeah. but um they just i don't know some animals like antibiotics will put off the ailment but it'll return mm-hmm. um i don't know it's weird so i try to i try to correct all my husbandry issues and, and cross my cross my t's and dot my eyes and and do all my due diligence at home first and and make an appointment while I'm doing that. So we'll see. Yeah. Do you feel like... Anyway. Oh, sorry. Do you feel like being in California, I feel like it's more advanced than the rest of the country in <laughs> reptiles. Do you feel like it's yeah. uh, you've had an easier chance in finding a reputable vet or a vet who's had experience with snakes? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm 15, 20 miles from UC Davis. Um, so they've got a pretty good program. And I actually have a, a card 
uh, of like three or four different places that I've been recommended to. So I definitely have access to three or four, which I know is not the norm. There are definitely places in the country where the nearest uh, vet that has even seen a ball python is like a five hour drive. So damn. And I think there's a fine difference in someone who is technically qualified to see a reptile and someone who actually should see a reptile because I've gone to exotic vets that really suck dick, (laughs) like really don't even know what I'm bringing to them. Yeah. I mean, even, reptile vet will tell you they have no idea what the hell is going on half the time because they know reptiles that well they, their systems do just some funky things yeah. like tortoises take days to come out of anesthesia the surgeries heal funky in some species antibiotics kind of take a weird like delayed t- i don't know there's just a lot of different considerations and the few people that i've worked with veterinary wise that no reptiles will tell you like half the time it's a crapshoot because yeah. they're just that bizarre. So, yeah, I find it's often um, just kind of throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks, especially. Uh, with, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but to go back, we, we got off of our topic that we were trying to get back onto <laughs> by trying to get back onto the topic. Sorry. It's fucked up. So, so Brazilian rainbow boas, just because we had someone last week in the chat trying to go over or trying to see how to keep and the general mm-hmm. care for Brazilian rainbow boas. So um, you kind of mentioned the temps that you use, but also uh, the humidity and stuff like that. Is there any type of special requirements? Um, it's just paying attention to the shed. I think that's, uh, when an animal gives you a full shed, that's like a good direction. Now they definitely don't need heat anywhere near like pythons. Um, you can sort of run the Terry Phillip method and keep them ambient at like 80, 82 year round and just sort of, um, influence them with, uh, maybe like a day cycle feed cycle sort of thing. Um, and they do just fine. Uh, they're a little more forgiving on the cooling end. You just don't want to make sure you want to make sure they don't get over like 85, 88 sort of deal. Um, I would never run a hot spot higher than 85. Um, if you are going to run a hot spot, humidity is definitely, especially when they're younger, when they're younger, they're very sensitive to, uh, a lack of humidity. You can lose an animal to arid conditions. Uh, once they hit that year and a half, two year mark, they become quite hardier, uh, and they'll tolerate sort of that fluctuation where if you, um, say you missed them down or you have a misting system or something, it gives that big burst. And then, uh, it sits at like 90% for a day or so. And then it sort of tapers off down to 50 and then, and then it brings it back up and cycle around. That's okay when they're a little bit older, but when they're babies, you want to make sure the humid, uh, but you can keep them in a glass tank if you if you cover part of the lid um, and it's not just a full open screen. I did that for the first Brazilian I, I ever owned uh, and she did great. But um, tubs work really well for them as far as maintaining humidity. Using lots of moss, um, humid hides, uh, bedding that's really good at holding moisture um, give you a lot of time and headache. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I mean, if you do that, you spray them down a couple times a week at most, unless you're in a humid environment like Florida or something. 
then they're great. I, I run a humidifier just because where we're at here, we're getting sort of pretty dry heat right now. Um, but I spray them down once a week and they're fine. Mm-hmm. And what are you using more specifically for substrate? And then how do you set up the humid hides and all that? Yeah. Um, right now I have my adults on a mix of, um, it's like the small, uh, coconut chips and, uh, or the husk chips and, uh, reptisoil and the, and the coconut fiber stuff, anything, a mixture of that is nice. And then, uh, and then moss on in, in like a hide and anything can work for hide. It can be, um, those zoomed like ceramic hides I use for some of the smaller animals, or it can be something like an pan that you carve just because if you've got big adults, um, sometimes they don't make hides big enough. Like those, those big plastic, nice ones that are made for them, those will work. But, um, for my big girl here, I had to go get a kitty litter pan and cut it because she's a freaking nature. Um, now, are you as adults keeping those in, uh, like enclosures? Instead of tubs, yeah. or you're still in boa tubs? Yeah, um, I've got them in an old Neodesha stack at the moment. I do have plans to transfer them into uh, some vision cages that I've been staring at and wondering why I have this entire half a wall of stack of visions that are empty. Um, so they need to move into there uh, so I can be more efficient with my space. But yeah, they're in um, these Neodeshas that are roughly three feet wide by two and a half feet deep by... 18 inches tall um i know people who successfully ha- uh house adults in four foot eight cages behind me right there um or even three footers too uh depending on the animal um adult males can be kept successfully in cb70s or 41 quart tubs um just because males tend to be a little bit smaller females it's probably a little crammed in there especially if you're intending on breeding um, so you can go bigger tubs for sure. I mean, tubs are save you all the headache of, of humid management, but, um, I don't know. The cages are nice just because mm-hmm. they like to stretch out at night and kind of move around during the day. They're pretty sedentary. Yeah. And it seems like you don't have a problem breeding them, but are they typically spring breeders? Yeah, so I find that if I introduce them during the cool down in the winter, they don't really show much activity until around February-ish, end of January. They might start cuddling up a little bit, but if I put them together in, uh, in January, they just they go to the opposite end of the cage with one another. They're very, like, it's not an active thing, but you'll notice they're just on as far polar opposite ends of the enclosure as possible. They're like, don't touch me. Just don't touch me. And then all of a sudden, usually around end of January, February, when things start getting warmer, they'll start showing a little more interest, and then they're inseparable. They just for let's see, yeah, end of January through February and into March. Uh, every time I put them together, they would lock up for like two days at a time. Uh, and then they, when they're done, they are done. They will not you know acknowledge one another in the same way they get annoyed with each other if you put them in too soon that's been my experience anyway mm-hmm. and how long is gestation for the female Ooh, it's a long time <laughs> <laughs> it's it's four months um so uh they'll have their head 
their prelay shed or post ovulatory shed around March, April ish, May, depending on the female. And then you you might as well count 120 days after that, and that's about when they when they drop. Um, you know, for the majority of them, the earliest rainbow boa babies are usually the end of July, but um, most of them are being born as as late as October, November, even. So, um, I would yeah, I would definitely say they're a little bit more on the late winter, early spring breeding. So you said. Uh when we were talking earlier that it looks like your Brazilian ate another Brazilian. So, I mean, you can tell, is that just post-ov and, or is she a little bit further along than that? And Um, you can always tell kind of she's pregnant and will grow. So I saw her ovulate and I mean, she's a big girl already. So to see her ovulate, which I, I never expected. I know boas tend to hide that pretty well as compared to pythons. Um, maybe it's just because they're denser bodied, but um, it it looks like she ate a rabbit, like a big rabbit when she ovulates. It's absurd. I feel horrible for her for about three days because she she just she leaves her hide, she sprawls out, and it's just um, like that. You can see lines between all of her scales. The scale separation is absurd, and then it goes down. And then she sheds. And then for like the first month or so, you don't really notice anything. And then right around the month and a half, two month mark is when she seems to start side rolling and really blowing up. And right now she's just 24 seven scale separation between those lines. Her colors are even lighter. You can see the oh. skin. She spends a lot more time rolling. Um, she really does not like me during this time of year. Uh, she, I leave her alone. I do not mess with her. She's fast for how big she is. She just goes from zero to a hundred, and and I've 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 dealt with that a few times, and it's not fun. But um, yeah, looking at her right now, I mean, even her back scales are just kind of like there's enough of a separation where you can see sort of that lighter color in between. She's she she's big. She looks like she ate way too much pizza or something. Like me, like after tonight, I'll have had a couple beers. And I'll be sitting on the couch. Like, uh. Now, does she still eat during this period? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I don't uh, overdo it. I give her much smaller meals than I normally would, and I don't offer more than once a month. Um, my thought process on that is if they're gonna take it. That's not a bad thing. Biologically, if eating were detrimental during this period, they wouldn't do it. Um, now she's big. She had plenty of resources, of course, during a uh, captive situation. Provide them with ample resources, which is why they're comfortable breeding. Um, but during that period, if she's going to continue to eat, my thought process is it's only more nutrients and resources during this. And a four-month gestation period is a lot on them, which is why I never recommend, at least in my experience, breeding her. You know, I wouldn't ever breed her back-to-back years. And I, I think uh, Travis, you know, he's kind of my go-to guy as far as picking brains and boa-minded people. He doesn't breed his boas every year. He breeds them every other year. I feel like it takes a lot out of them. So I try to feed them. If they'll take it, they'll eat it. Great. So I just don't ever offer anything bigger than like a smaller medium rat during this time. Cause I mean, she's a big girl. So that's a small meal for her. Okay. So I've heard 
BOA people kind of explain the gestation period to where you are kind of incubating eggs inside of a female. Um, Mm -hmm. Are you super particular about how the temperature goes, keeping the same gradient? And if you had to evacuate, you think it'd be fucked? Like, do you, are you really concerned about keeping the temperature when she's pregnant? Yeah, actually, uh, Sacramento gets really hot, so I'm I'm keeping a very close eye on her, and for the most part, they hug the heat. They just they just soak up as much heat as possible. So during this time of year, because it's hot, I'm I'm keeping an eye on her. There are a couple days where she leaves the heat, but she only does it for a few hours. So I know she's able to escape and go onto a, a cooler end. Uh, but yeah, that's that's 100 accurate. I mean, I could. If I were to move her to Arizona where I just couldn't get, you know, the temperatures down and say I didn't have AC or anything, um, I would expect uh, a bunch of, like, preemie babies that were stopped and just cooked and just ruined. So I am very cautious of of overheating. Um, as provide them a thermal gradient that, you know, that gives them the acceptable range. They should be fine. But, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Um, she's at the two plus month mark right now. So if we're talking pythons, that's at the point where, um, you know, you know, an egg is already on the ground and partially going. So at that point, an embryo is maybe just taking shape. So we're still in a critical period as far as I would regard it. Um, you really only so, yeah. safe for that last month or so, or. I mean, maybe. Not even safe, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? You could probably get. You get three months in, and then if you had a spike at the end, all of a sudden you get full-term babies that have, like, a an eye issue or something minimal, but, like, could have been avoided. I mean, who knows? But, uh, yeah, it, as long as you give them the, the gradient and you don't overheat them, um, it's pretty good. This guy, um, Brandon Wheeler, you may know, he asked, do you oh, purposely yes. drop temps for them in the winter like you would carpets, or do you just let the room do what it does? Both. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you I, did kind of mention a little bit of a drop, but... Yes, it's not extreme like carpets. It's very minimal. So I don't... I don't. I keep a hot spot nowhere higher than 85 for the rainbows. And if you think about like going through the bottom of the caves and then the substrate, by the time they're sitting on something, it's probably more like 81, 82. Um, I do replicate a little bit of a drop, uh, but they're a little bit more equatorial. So it's nowhere near as dramatic. What I do is I still do it gradually over about two weeks. Um, but I take it from about 85 to only 75. So it's really minimal. And that's just the night temps. And during the day, they still have access to a warmer end, but I'll to more like 81, 82. So the drop is like, it's minimal. It's enough, but it's minimal. Um, and these animals are pretty in tune to light cycles. So if you've got a window in the room, even if they're not facing it, there's some ambient light that fluctuates. Um, the temperature ambient will change according to those um, seasonal changes. So I think all of that makes a, a little bit of an impact. So I do all that and then I cycle feed them like I do with my carpets. Um, I don't really feed the rainbows much at all during the winter. 
So explain cycle feeding for those who aren't necessarily versed in it. Plus, like people do it differently. But explain how you would do it for your um, Brazilians. Um, so yeah, the whole concept of cycle feeding is um, to replicate prey availability seasonally in the wild as they would so with certain biomes that tends to fluctuate with uh the rainy season and the dry season um rainy season tends to elicit much more plant growth than therefore rodent growth therefore predator and yada yada so on and so forth um so for the rainbows um i sort of replicate during those drier seasons a little bit of uh less access to food and so let's say november usually late october november is when i'm already tapering off the size of the food they're still getting fed at two to three week intervals for adults but it's it's getting a little bit smaller and then i give them like four or five weeks to basically not eat and and go to the bathroom as much as what's available and when I drop the temperatures around like late November, December for them, because it's almost around the same time I do it for, for my carpets. Um, and then they don't eat through about the end of February or March, and I bring them back up gradually again, similar. But the only thing that's really different is the females cycle much later than carpets, and I don't start pairing the rainbows until later than the carpets. Mm-hmm. Deep. Oh, sorry. Do you notice a change in temperament ever when you're reducing that uh, size and time? Like how often you're feeding? Yeah, they um, they definitely pick up on like the seasonal shift. It, it's funny. The females definitely seem to be more on edge during that time because um, they're like, "Fuck you! I want food." Yeah, I think they take <laughs> things more like a feeding response because they're like this is a critical period of time there's if that's food i need to react eat it now as fast as possible i need to yeah. make sure i'm prepped and ready to go so yeah i definitely see that with the females just get a little more um touchy they just tend to flee more um they're not as as quick to uh turn and defend they're just kind of like eh, leave me alone i, I just gotta get out of here leave me, uh, and they just take <laughs> off um that this this female is not fun um, around the winter. It time. seems like half of the year because it's either <laughs> not eating or it's pregnant. So. Yeah, she and after her first litter, I mean, I, okay. So before I bred her, I actually brought her to a couple of schools uh, and let like kindergartners and first graders pet her, and she was great. I'd give her like breaks to put her back in the tub and kind of bring her back out and do this. So it was in short spurts, and she was an angel. And then, man, after she had that first litter, she, like, hit this maternal instinct mode where she just, she gives you this eye where if you start coming <laughs> in, she's like, what the hell are you doing in here? And I have footage that uh, my housemate took from me while I was at work of her checking all of her babies, and she's, like, nosing all of them and makes sure they're okay. And as soon as she recognizes the phones, though, she's like, what is that? So she's scary, and she's lit me up a few times at night. She's no joke. She hits hard, real hard. She's fun. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I think some of us appreciate that in an animal. It's like showing your – 
it's the fact that you still have an animal at the end of the day and it will still act like an animal and like sure. give you the consequences of a six foot animal i mean a boa yeah. that you have i mean it's not a small animal but i mean i struggle with the fact that i mean people when you see your animal cruising especially because i do kind of a seasonal feed but I also just feed much less, I think, than a lot of other people. But also, when I see them cruising and I know that they're hungry, like I know that they're supposed to hunt, and maybe they're not supposed to be successful catching them every time. But do you like yeah. have trouble not feeding them sometimes? Or no? Oh god! <laughs> is there is there right. anything? I'm plugging my battery or my charger in right now, and I'm fumbling over it because I don't want to piss off the rainbow. Um, no, they they're garbage disposals. Yeah, so I don't know. It's hard to get across a message to people who want to have a snake and know that every time it eats is a sign of health. So you need to feed it every week. And if it eats every week, things yeah, are good. That's, that's, uh, yeah, you can go down to, uh, in a, too far with that for sure, especially with them. These things will eat every day of the week if you let them. Mm. Um, to give you an example of how good of uh, feeders these are, and I don't know if other rainbow boa breeders have had the same, like, I'll call it luck right now, because it's a one-time instance as far as my statistics go. But she had, her first litter was 34 live babies. Oh. One stillborn. Um and I specifically remember being at a show a couple months prior, talking with Dave Calling, asking about how his season's going, how things were going, because I was anticipating my first litter. And I asked him just numbers, what is he average, what, and and I happened to ask him what his record was, and he was like, my record, my biggest litter is thirty four live and one stillborn. Oh, stick it to him. I had no idea. Like, and, and how ago, long has I, he been breeding Brazilians? longer than i've been keeping reptiles man. <laughs> um dude's been he is the re, he is the rainbow like guru like that's the guy i go to i study his website i study his care sheet uh i've replicated his processes i've sort of um just tried to tune him in so what but, you're saying is your brazilian's way too big or way too yes. fertile <laughs> or both i mean maybe both all i know is that the the and second owner were 100% responsible for her being the size she is because of their feeding regimen and that definitely has a correlation to her fertility i mean mm. just her mass it's just that's just how it goes her mass is so large that's there's just a trend the bigger the animal the more follicles the more eggs whatever um, I wouldn't say she's necessarily obese now. When I first got her, she was fat. Like her back did that sort of like, you know, the sides. Like a boa should be a loaf of bread where it's sort of like this. And rainbows tend to be pretty close to that. Um, so you should see a little bit of spine, but it's especially still an when they're like snake, moving uh, over something. Mm -hmm. Dude, I mean, you're talking about like she had a, a, a downward dent on the top of her back where her spine was. And I was like, dude, you're fat. And they had her in a tiny little glass tank. And they're chucking live jumbos and I, whatever. Yeah, she's in good hands now. She eats well. She doesn't get fed more than once a month, um, and it's smaller meals, but not terribly small. And she's got good, 
good uh, body tone to her now, and I'm actually really curious to see how uh, how she produces this year as a result of two years on sort of my feeding regimen. I mean, would you be happy to have, you know, 30 out of 30 babies? You think that would be actually going in a better direction than having another, you know, 36 out of 36 or something like that? Or Yeah, I mean, I would like to see 100% fertility. Uh, that one stillborn, to me, was kind of like uh, any bigger is too much. Like, she obviously had... Um, the uh, the eggs to produce 35 but maybe that's just pushing it um if i mean don't get me wrong i love having tons of baby snakes that was so much fun like i love brazilian rainbow bows and when i went from uh, 38 really quick i was like yes <laughs> how many snake did you have in your collection at the time uh, uh i think i had 40 at the time so there you go so <laughs> nearly doubled yeah. Dude, my work was oh, every day those things would eat and piss um but the best part about them was i don't remember where i got it i remember i spent ages and ages looking online in preparation for this and i remember one source one page and i don't even have a bookmark i'm gonna go dig it up after this actually see if i can but somebody wrote about them feeding pretty early on and i was like well that seems unconventional most people wait for them to shed i'll give it a shot uh and i had a bunch of rat pinkies and those things take no time to thaw so i thawed like a dozen and five or six babies the the day after they were born grabbed them and and i was like holy shit so i pulled out a bunch more and 24 hours after these uh, this litter was born 22 of them had struck wrapped and consumed frozen thawed rat pinkies wow the next day another eight and the next day the rest of them so within 72 hours the entire litter was eating frozen thawed rat pinkies it was stupid easy i mean (laughs) it it cannot happen again this year there's no way in hell that you're gonna get the other side you know like when when uh i feel weird saying this like humans get really easy pregnancies like then they're like the next one it's gonna be fucking terrible yeah i'm expecting them all to like not eat and well i guess all those bit the crap out of me anyway but um yeah i'm expecting them to be to be horrible just because my luck was so stacked that one time i'm like cursed now do you know what the norm is as far as getting them started eating I mean, they're pretty good eaters, so I know that most people don't have too much trouble getting them feeding, especially after first shed. Um, but if you've got a well-fed female that is devoting the appropriate amount of resources and these babies are coming out with you know, pretty well-absorbed yolks and they're coming out right away and they're clear and their eyes look good and they're healthy and they're breaking out of their egg sacs right away and everything just shows good, vital, strong babies, there's no reason they shouldn't eat immediately after shed. Um, I just happened to get, you know, this this fluke idea of trying it earlier. I would have never tried it earlier, and I never try that with any of my other species either. I just read it somewhere, and I was like, that's odd. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm bored. All right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure someone fed a corn snake out of it that just pipped out of an egg once. So I've seen a photo of that. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's still in the it egg. Wasn't it's, even... got a, it's got a pinky in it now. <laughs> that's insane. There's always those animals. But I wouldn't like, do hey, that. I, read, I wouldn't. I read what you wrote about me. I'm a. I'm gonna piss you off right now. Go for it. 
So like, yeah, I bet you those babies are, there's always just those one that is just like, yeah, I'm going to break convention right what's now. What's keeping you from trying it? You said you wouldn't do it. What's keeping you from trying it? I don't know. It's just not the way I do things. But if if you put it in front of them, they don't eat it. Okay, tough kids. If they do eat it, also. So why not try? All right, man. I feel. I feel like the odds of success are pretty low. Like that has to be a. But why not try? Oh, absolutely. If if they don't eat it, you all you give it to. Well, it's a waste of my time, really. Wow, because your time is just so valuable. Oh my god, babies. We don't have a hundred yet. We have eight right. We don't have a hundred yet. Right now, hundred eggs. But you could try it with the first eight and see how it goes, right? Sure. All right. There those you go. those You're in babies charge. you posted are those corn snake babies are pretty small, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, they were pretty good as far as uh, our last babies took ninety six days to hatch, which yeah. is yeah. Uh, very you interesting. Start them right on, right on whole pinkies, or do you do like pinky heads or whatever? Uh, whole pinkies? Yeah. So most of them will take whole pinkies. If there's an exceptionally small one, then it will be a pinky head or right on. The ones that don't want to eat, and you have like to give them rat like mouse tail. tails or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's that's a whole a, other thing. That method works pretty well. I had good success doing that with stubborn carpets. Um, I had a baby, a couple baby jungles that just wouldn't eat, and just assist uh, feeding rat tails just really a couple times, and they're gone. They're good. Honestly, I've had better success just giving them in a null, and then the problem is mm. getting them off of nulls from that point. So. Mm. Every pretty much ninety nine percent of corn snakes will eat an annul. Even your worst eater, they'll uh-huh. be like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna take this annul." But um, should I just try? I don't know. We what? should try. We're gonna do it tomorrow, okay? What? Okay, we'll sure. Feed these eight. Interesting. All right, we're doing it. Okay, can I ask my other question? Go for it. <laughs> Oh, it's not my fault if it doesn't work. I promise. <laughs> I mean, but if we don't lose anything by well, trying. Well, I'll wait it. until the next clutch pips in like three days, and then I'll do one. No, okay. Egg. See, I I feel weird doing it pipping. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's weird. They're not even out yet. That's like it. <laughs> no, it's fucked up. Weird. I agree. But that's, if you're no. gonna do it, you might as well go but, all the way. But um. Other Brandon, I feel weird calling him that. Yeah, I bet you an MBK. Other, will eat it other out of the Brandon egg brought up the fact that, like, oh, they eat the yolk sack. Like, that's a meal, free meal right there they get. Ooh. So they're ready to eat something if yeah. they're eating the yolk sack. Right, but the fact is that they're full most of the time when they're absorbing that yolk, and that's that's the idea of why you kind of wait for them to settle. There's candoya or things with slower metabolisms. Um, honestly, most boas with slower metabolisms. Um, you figure they're going to be good for like two weeks. Candoya, it's like don't even fuck with them for a month, at least most people. And then you yeah. start feeding them. So it's Bloods like. And short tails take months to even have their first shed. That, they're just fucking a whole <laughs> different story. Like, and they what, shit like twice a year. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that's just not right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like that. That means you got to hold on to these babies. I don't know if they're feeding, and then it takes you forever to get them going. But um, I'm just used to turning them over. But um, okay, on the topic of rainbow was, um, what is your typical like customer base with those? First timers, first timers, mostly um, or all. For the most part, uh, there's a couple people that are. Um, I've got a few people that are like they have one they found one and they're like obsessed and they need like a couple but for the most part it's it's first 
because they walked around a show and they saw one or they saw a video and and they just like they got hooked on that pattern that iridescence enough to go look into them and found out one they're moderately easy to care for and two readily available um yeah so i've got uh people that are like look i really want a cool snake that doesn't get huge it's pretty um and this is this is sort of what i've come up with i'm like well you're you're on a great track i mean they're they're fantastic animals why um, this year i have a couple of return customers that are like i have one or two from from that first litter and i want more and that's awesome why are they some of the best looking animals we have in captivity yet not enough people work with them and they're probably one of the most commonly imported species so why don't we have more people like you or more importantly more why are there not more rileys in the world just (laughs) (laughs) get asked that question every day (laughs) but like why haven't we gotten to the point where those are captive bred because they don't seem to be terribly hard to breed but no no one's fucking with them enough to and they're beautiful iridescent and and we like pretty colors and they sell obviously right And, and there are morphs now there are definitely like a well, if you're gonna, but nothing's better than the original. There's, there's definitely morphs, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there, that's that's a good question. I think part of that comes to, uh, comes down to a couple dynamics. One is is market trends and uh, supply and demand, right? So those are your two two big things you're looking at. Um. Uh, the mark the market favors what is lucrative and and what people are gonna buy, right? So when you have uh, a market full of millions of people that are really into um, maybe like five to ten niche animals, and the common thread seems to be like morphs and uh, ease of access and ease of care. Then that sort of dominates those trends, and when uh, rainbows sort of just fall out of that fringe because although their 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 breeding um, is relatively similar and simple, they they have that added little. Um, to add a little uh, little layer of the humidity, and sometimes that scares people because that implies a little bit more of uh, daily attention and maintenance and and regular sort of care. Whereas a lot of the times, people are attracted to snakes because uh, they don't need daily care. And so, when you think of a rainbow boa in a glass tank and somebody who doesn't really have uh, the wherewithal or the, the plug-in to know that there's plastic cages and not screen tops and all this stuff to make your life so much easier thermostats, um, all of a sudden it becomes a burden. So I think to the majority of the customer base and those that are out there buying reptiles, it's people that are just getting into it, right? This is a pretty fledgling market as far as the mass consumer is concerned. Um, so any like speed bumps and things that require like an extra attention to detail, all of a sudden puts that species just like that much more as far as advancement goes. And and humidity is just one more thing to think about. It's so, sad that such a little thing could keep people away from breeding yeah. an amazing species when there's yeah. thousands of people breeding ball pythons. All you have sure. to do is put in a fucking humid hide and you can breed something completely different and you know yeah. 
I don't. I, I mean, maybe it means that people are like aware of what they're capable of, and they're not going to go like True. kill these snakes inappropriately because they just don't know how to keep. Maybe that's the silver lining I'm going to think of. I also yeah. breed corn snakes, so don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've kept rainbow boas in glass tanks and done it successfully, but that's you know maybe because I was a zookeeper at the time and I sort of you know had the the, the tune in um, wherewithal. I don't know. But so there's a little bit of that, and then I think part of it is a supply and demand, um, like a morph thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, call me crazy, but snakes uh, tend to be for the counterculture of people who maybe not, you're crazy, uh, man. We're normal, I'm crazy. We're totally so, yeah. the majority right here. It's it's a lot of <laughs> counterculture, right? So people sort of they find this thing that um, is a little bit weird to the norm and, and that they find their identity in that. And then when you get into that and you all of a sudden there's morphs and there's different things and you can express what you like and you don't like in that, all of a sudden there's a lot more identity involved. And rainbows, I mean, when you think about Brazilian rainbow bows, do you think about morphs? No, you think about just their natural thing, right? So maybe there's a little bit of that. Say morphs are bad because there are definitely morphs and rainbows and I'm definitely chasing a few of them. Uh, I don't own any, but um, that's the other part of it. Like rainbow bows, uh, people who like them uh, like a lot of natural beauty, sort of like the old school colubrid heads. They really like old colubrids because back in the day when you didn't have internet and you couldn't export and you couldn't do this and that, all you had were like red tail green rat snakes and gray rats and all these cool like natural phases of things so maybe there's a little bit of that in there i don't know i'm not going to pretend to know everything but um they're they're definitely on a rising trend um i i need to buy more because i need to make more because i have this like never-ending list because people want them people like them mm-hmm. and I, I can't blame them they're pretty rad so and I think it's important that more and more people get into these kinds of things, especially things that are popular, but don't necessarily get captive born. So uh, sure. you go to shows, you see a lot of rainbow bows, you see a lot of Sumatran short tails. You, there's a few themes that keep on repeating, mm-hmm. and it's like, fuck, why don't cool people just breed these so we can have like good ones that uh, uh, aren't cool fucked people up? Can breed them too. Yeah, we're on cool people that are at least responsible. <laughs> so there's like this fine line of like you don't want to mass produce, but you want them still available. Right. You don't want them to be like super popular, but still appreciated. Um, I think I think they're gonna, you know, there's waves and fads and trends, and that will kind of come and go. And I think they're on the rise. I think more people start to appreciate them. Um, they're a moderately sized boa that is a little bit more forgiving husbandry wise than some of the other ones. And uh, as long as you don't overheat them, um, you know, they're, they're pretty rad. So I think, uh, I mean, in the last three years, I've seen an upward trend in them. And that's just in my very small sample size. Now, ready for the transition? Talking okay. about upward trends, Matic- and things that are very heavily imported. Mm-hmm. Madagascar hog noses, which um, wait, who, did we talk about these recently? Yes, with Ellen. With Ellen. So, what f- species or phase? I'm not sure 100 percent how they work, so I'm kind of an idiot. So, just tell me what you're working with. So, uh, the Madagascar hog nose consists of three. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, there are three full species. You have uh, Leo heterodon. 
Madagascariensis, you have Leo Heterodon Modestus, and you have Leo Heterodon Gaii. The Madagascariensis are the typical um, giants, as their common name goes. They're the, the very black and yellow checkered ones. The Modestus are the uh, common name for them is the blondes, because they're sort of this uh, color uh, gold. And then the Gaii are the speckled. And I believe that also is the same order in size with Madagascariensis being the largest and Gaia being the smallest. So there's three, and I believe they are the full species delineation. Are they all native to Madagascar? They are, and they are a great example of um, sort of this uh, divergent evolution where they have zero relation to the North American uh, Maddie, or uh, excuse me, North American hognose. They're not even the same genus. They don't even have keeled scales. They're not even on their own. Like they're their own trajectory. They appeared later after a split, uh, as far as phylogeny is concerned. So they're pretty unique in that way. The North American species have more of a pronounced um, upturned uh, rostral snout. Yeah, the Madagascar. A little more narrow and it's pointed and they some have a little bit of that shovel but it's it's nowhere near as dramatic so i currently have 2.1 of the madagascariensis because what i have been told is that um for that particular species their breeding is rather uh undocumented it's a little less known about them and most people seem to find success when there are multiple males whether that be for stimulating competition or breeding balls or or what or just increasing the odds i'm not sure uh but then the other ones i think it's rather similar their care is pretty much the same um they as far as i know have all at least been bred once or twice in captivity if not a couple times but that is not a common species you, you're nine times out of ten if you ever see them at shows or available what you're seeing is uh an imported or farm hatched animal occasionally you'll find uh animals that are captive hatched from a imported female or somebody who imported some adults animals and cohabbed them and just that's just how it works because they actually do pretty well uh being cohabbed as far as i uh, am aware so, so uh when did you first acquire your cognos i got um so i got <laughs> Ironically, I got the I bought a male soul uh, a soul male from uh, Joe Swatowski right before those fires um, in January. So, oh, so this is a December. pretty recent thing. Yeah. So so as far as my personal collection goes, I've only had them for about six months. Um, so I picked that animal up, and then I picked up the other two uh, after I got back from the evacuation, but before I moved. Um, so I picked up a pair afterwards. So my collection of the Madagascarians here is 2.1. Uh, but I worked with uh, these at the zoo. We had an adult female who was all black, like melanistic, all the way down, a little bit of white on her belly. Like you, I've never seen anything like her before. Um, and she was wonderful. And she's the reason why I keep the species just because... I had the the fortune of being able to bring her out for educational presentations, and she's super tractable and it's really friendly. Um, so I just, after I moved, at, you know, 
they're just one of the few species that's like, I need, I need these in my life here now. <laughs> so, so kind of. Oh, sorry. Sorry, you were going first. You, you were going first. Same mindset. I just, I just had something in my brain forever, but mine was a negative comment, and yours is probably, positive. <laughs> yours is probably positive, no. so you can go. Mine's more of like a question that I would uh, ask someone. Mine was just negative. Negative. Because <laughs> anything about hog nose. I, I know you hate hog nose, and part of why you hate hog nose is the question I was going to ask. Oh, okay. okay. So we're talking about the key, the co-evolution, basically, of these hog nose, and then the hog nose in Madagascar, right? So. Ooh. Obviously, I have Western hog noses. You love them. You really like them. So much. And they do the huffing, the puffing, the <laughs> spreading of the neck, the bluff strikes, the all that everything stuff. everything annoying about snakes. So, so how did the Madagascan hog nose seem to at least stack up, if not exceed, as far as the bluffs go? So could you tell us a little bit of their behavior? Yeah, I get the full spectrum in, in just my three animals. Uh, the first male I picked up, he very rarely makes any vocalizations. He'll actually feed off the tongs. The female that I have uh, won't eat off the tongs. If I leave it in there overnight, she'll eat it, but she'll give me the full like vocalizations. They don't like being disturbed. Um, they'll hiss at you. They will do this thing where they sort of... Uh, go like in this weird tornado thing where they <laughs> they put their head in the middle and they make tails on the outside and they'll like slap substrate and slap at you and they just kind of like wah, 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 wah. and they just do this weird thing where they like pull their head back throw their tail back at you and they're like i'm a ninja back off and so they'll do that a little bit um and then the other male that i have um he goes even further to full-on hood uh, stand up and bluff strike at me. I've uh, I've had standoffs with him where he stood up about 18 inches, and we're talking about a four foot animal. He stood up about 18 inches on the far end of his enclosure, and then lunge across about three feet to just like headbutt me because he's so pissed. <laughs> now, granted, probably because it was pretty warm, but um, he's he's the only one that does that. They don't all do that. Um, yeah, you call them excitable. wonderful. They're excitable. <laughs> They're awesome. Just one of those things that like to be left alone. Yeah, they can leave themselves alone, not in our collection. It's not uh, it, when I clean them. I have to put them in separate tubs because you can't just like hold it while you scrub this one. The, the female the other day was just running all over the place. It's so nice. Like you notice such a difference between like something that will always bite me and I put it and I put it on the ground in the room or something that I can hold while I clean it stuff. It's so much easier just that one yeah, that you hold. Yeah, and the hog nose isn't going <laughs> to bite you, but it's just going to be annoying. Or yeah. if it does, I mean, there are semi-consequences. Right, true. They are roofing, but like, I just... <sighs> God, I just yeah, don't know I how you guys a, like them. Uh, I have an article that is right up on my uh, my bookmarks here about a potential envenomation about a guy who got bit on the hand, and it was no more than a little bit of swelling and irritation for the first four to eight hours, and by the time he woke up the next morning, uh, it was just it looked like a cat bite, basically where the uh, the teeth went in because they they don't just like hit; they sort of hit and chew and kind of eh. yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you see that even in Western, which is weird because they shouldn't have this much in common, but they also do the, and you think that rear fang isn't a big deal because they have to chew on you to get to you, but that happens real fucking quick. You're not getting that snake off. 
Well, they don't just they don't just hit and go back. They hit and yeah. just like all of a sudden you're in the back of their mouth. They're like, hey, this isn't so bad. Yeah, so, yeah. But I, I mean, there's no recorded anything much more than that, is there? No, no. And I guess nothing medically significant. No yeah. allergies. No hospitalizations. No loss of limb. No necrosis. No nothing. Mm. Brandon so. Sanders said never keep Easterns, though. I hear they're just a pain in the ass feeding-wise. Just toads. So are toads, our fucking Westerns are pain in the our ass Westerns feeding. Our are, but I've heard, um, I, mean, I know someone in Texas who keeps Easterns, and they actually go out and catch toads, which is obviously uh, a game that you don't really I mean, want to play. But I had to go get a live mouse for one of mine. <laughs> yeah, I'll take a live mouse. So. <laughs> it was not there this morning. <laughs> yeah. That's about as excessive as I get. So, were, did you buy these animals? I mean, were they pretty much... No, a... he didn't buy these animals. Asshole. That, would, that <laughs> oh, was part of the question. <laughs> did you buy them as wild-caught adults, or what was the situation yeah. behind them? All, all three of mine are imports. Um... But you bought them, correct? Correct. <laughs> okay, yeah, just no. wanted to clear that up. He, he birthed them himself, yeah, they're, babe. They're all wild caught uh, adults. Um, the males are at least four and a half feet. The females right around four feet. She's a little bit smaller, which is to be expected. But she probably has another year of of growth and maturity on her to go for sure. Wait, did you say the female smaller? Sorry. Yeah. Oh. So it is Opposite typical colubrid fashion. Opposite the... of our situation. What do you mean? Our females so much bigger. Our than females our are smaller in colubrids, and our females are bigger in pythons, or in, in our, our well, actually in westerns. Sorry, I know what you're talking about now. In westerns, females are significantly larger than the male. Thank you. Yeah, Sorry. that's what I've seen. Yeah, no, I mean she could be younger, but she doesn't seem like it. She seems like she's got the age and maturity on her. She's much smaller than the other two, but I mean we'll see. I don't intend on uh, breeding them even next year. I think I'm going to spend probably at least a year or two acclimating them for sure. Did you treat them when you got them in? <clears throat> yeah, they've all been given uh, an extra round of fenbendazole. They came into the importer, got treated for external and internal parasites. And then when they all came here, uh, they endured uh, another round of internal parasite treatment as well as a two to three month quarantine period, if I remember correctly. Do you get them fecal tested beforehand or do you just treat them pretty much no matter what? Depends on the importer. Um, if the importer uh, does some of the treatment and it and I'm actually going through with it, that means that that importer is somebody I trust. Um, uh, but I do actually do my own fecal sampling as well afterwards. While I was in Santa Barbara, it was super easy. Um, I pretty good friends with the vet tech so so you you just basically need a a microscope yeah you can get kits online it's super easy i think it's like less than 200 bucks for the microscope the um the little lenses the actual containers and everything it's really easy most of what you're paying for is the equipment and then a little chart that shows you what you should be looking for as far as the uh uh, little protozoan bacteria that can generate, but you can get little kits to do it at home. I highly recommend it. Yeah, that's super um, 
Interesting. For someone who doesn't like to give snakes antibiotics, are you? Do you need to prove it has internal parasites before you treat it, or you know? No, I treat them regardless. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you I, don't feel that that would um, make your animal less than in comparison to say an antibiotic? No, no, because it's if it's going through the digestive system, they'll pass it out. I feel like antibiotic and and something in the bloodstream uh, can be a little bit more extreme because it'll then end up also manifesting itself in the liver and a few of the other vital organs. Um, and even the best antibiotics that are designed for reptiles can still have like a heavy, heavy half life that still affects the animal and makes them just a little bit weaker as far as their immune system goes later on. I'm not saying don't go to a vet and, and, you know, get the necessary treatment. For Absolutely. But like that's, that's bar none. Like you have to do that when it comes to it for sure. Um, I'm just also saying that sometimes if it's something very minor, do, do what you can to look at uh, the husbandry parameters to see if maybe something you can fix could potentially um, correct an ailment uh, and, and it might not show results overnight. Again, like we were talking about with reptiles, sometimes they just take a little while to really show a change in, in things because of the way their, their biolo- biological systems work. So mm-hmm. Now, how do you go quarantining your animals? Um, you said two to three months. And then what are other kind of things that you watch out for, things that you do in order to make sure that you don't cross-contaminate per se? So I, uh, I, I keep my quarantine in a completely separate room. Um, everything is very sterile and clear. There are clear water bowls or ceramic that can be disinfected nicely. Uh, paper towel bedding, everything is disinfected with a uh, chlorhexidine solution that's allowed to sort of sit and soak. Uh, I, I re-constitute uh, that solution weekly, so it, it's not weak when I use it. Um, and I'm looking for external parasites visually for at least the first month or so. I'm checking them daily, and then it just kind of becomes a thing where as long as I'm looking at them here and there, I'll get a good visual. Um, I'm checking the fecals, look for anything that's abnormal as far as its consistency or anything crawling around in there. Um, uh, I, I take care of quarantine after everything else or on a, just a completely separate day or after a shower, um, different set of tools, like everything is separate. Sometimes quarantine will need to, like right now as a tiny little spot of urates in quarantine right now, he's about due to clear quarantine. He's been in there for a little over two months. Um, and I will probably clean him tonight and then shower before I go to bed, just as a last minute thing. Uh, obviously, I'm in here right now. This is the room. I would never do an unboxing video in here. I would never bring him in here. I'd never go feed him and then come back and finish feeding in here. I fed everybody the other night. I set his food out last. So he was the last one that got fed. And he has feeding tongs that are over there, stay at his enclosure, get disinfected, and everything stays at his enclosure nothing that involves him even breathing on it comes back in here for several months and this is even when they're coming from reputable breeders that i know trust talk to on a daily basis that also practice even better diligent quarantine standards than myself so 
uh, being in the zoo, I've had the daylight scared out of me seeing some, some weird stuff. It's not because of anybody's fault. It's just because reptiles hide stuff really well. So is the specific procedure that you take um, the same thing that you would do in the zoo? Or are there things yeah. that you tweaked? I try to I try to replicate it as much as possible. Uh, the reason being because at the zoo we never had any issues. We never had anything slip through the cracks. We never had any animals show latent uh, ailments that affected the collection later on. Uh, it was one hundred percent foolproof as far as my six years of experience go with the uh, with things. And we even detected things in quarantine and were able to remedy them before they even, you know, uh, mingled with the rest of the collection. Um, so I had that nice template of experience to, to model how I do things around here and inevitably things squeak through the clack, squeak through the cracks. Like you just can't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you just can't, you can't beat it all. But, um, yeah, I try to, I try to emulate that. Yeah. I mean, being proactive is super important in something that will hide. And it's also like going past where you think you're clear also where it's like fuck you like i'm sure this snake is fine but i gotta just an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure absolutely so sure do you have any reservations about keeping them the same as you do in your room that you're in right now with your morelia and your brazilians and stuff like that the the mad hogs yeah uh, no, actually, they, they, as far as I'm aware and what I've discovered there, the keeping requirements are actually much more in line with the, uh, the, the, the Morelia genus. They like, uh, they like it pretty warm. They like similar humidity levels with not too much on the high end, but too arid isn't also favorable. Um, their, their digestive system is a little more little bit more so i'm much more okay with feeding older animals at a, a more frequent uh interval than i am with carpets but um yeah otherwise they do really well at about the same parameters i have a rack with um my hognas and uh, uh my pair of imported poplins and in, mm-hmm. in the same conditions yeah, I mean, I do something similar. People probably think I'm crazy. I keep everything 85 hotspot and then mm. like 74 ambient. So I have hog nose with Amazon tree boa with a kink snake with all that shit. But it Perfect. all work. It all works for fucking everyone. So yeah, it sounds pretty spot on to me. Yeah. So um, as far as the Madagascar hog nose. They must, I guess, have they're colubrid after all. They have a faster metabolism. So, how often are you feeding them? How how long does it take them to go to the bathroom after they feed? Also, um, I'm offering them food weekly. Whether or not they take it is is a visual. They're going to the bathroom probably twice a week. Uh, I'm I'm in there daily, but I'm spot cleaning twice a week. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> they go. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. This whole discussion. Speaking of going, (laughs) you gotta go. Label off. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. No, no, that's totally. We get the benefit of being two of us. And I will pee right after you get back. So. Oh, you're not gonna leave me alone? That's so nice of you. No, I won't leave you alone. That's so nice of you. Uh, But while he's doing that, yeah. 
in our little update thing, we didn't update people about our babies, which I know, like, you know, most people will follow us on Instagram and whatever, too, so they've seen our babies, yeah. but I feel like we should let them know. I don't even know, because I haven't been here for a week. Like, oh, yeah, you haven't even, she I, hasn't seen the I new I know clutch. nothing about them, like, but I think you should give a quick little... So, we have a clutch of Tessera, it was a Tessera head honey, bred to a honey. I don't think we have any tessera honeys or honey tesseras however which way you cut it but there's one eighth of a chance of us hitting that um we definitely hit 50 percent tesseras we hit five out of nine tesseras explain sunkiss also because i saw you commented on someone saying like hit sunkiss how can you know what a sunkiss sunkiss is a recessive so some are going to be het non-visual but then how the fuck do they're you carrying know? the gene because because both parents have sun kissed in them so everyone's 100 percent. wait sun-kissed. i thought we had a test. everyone's 100 percent honey pretty much everyone's 100 percent honey right but right. honey is car- <laughs> caramel yeah and and sun kiss oh yeah yeah it's so they caramel all have sun somewhere in they there. all have sun and honey as hats oh, at as least hats. but most of it's visual so we have quite a few caramel tesseras we have sun kiss tessera and i but don't no think we have a honey, honey but i don't want to call it before they shed um we definitely have a honey just a regular honey we'll definitely have eight to nine regular honeys when this next clutch comes out because it's honey to honey so we'll have a shit ton of fucking okay. honeys if you're concerned now i know that i'm not concerned i'm confused um i know Wait, that i, I want to learn i want to learn corn snake genetics here cool you That's can do it with me <laughs> um oh, it's overlooked okay i'm confused because i know that like you know once they shed they're gonna look so much better but honeys are fucking yellow these snakes are 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 not yet how how are it's kind of like how do we have like the the picture you posted today you're like oh i'm pretty sure this is a honey like there's a honey yeah and i know it's gonna shed it's gonna look better but it's not gonna shed an automatically fucking you know magic abracadabra be yellow no <laughs> like i'm so confused how you're telling me this is a okay. honey but honeys are yellow like okay, I, okay, I, okay. I was trying to answer your question i know but, but i want to fully ask my question first okay well okay. i got the gist in the beginning so well the rest of the world may not have like, gotten the gist you butthead like riley or anyone else who works with carpet pythons you have a jungle it looks like the worst coastal you've ever seen in your life it just comes out yeah. looking brown and black right yeah and then it sheds one time it gets a little bit lighter shed shed sheds in two years it will be yellow and black so you're telling me the snake you posted today is gonna be yellow it's gonna be yellow what? in two years in two years just give it two years that's a big deal <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen crazier i've seen some of travis's stillwater hypos like oh, bulls that are like they, they hatch out like this orange just red and he's like that thing's gonna look like a super zebra when it's adult i'm like are you fucking kidding it's like yeah the thing's gonna be all yellow well, it ain't yellow right now. It's a different shade of red. <laughs> yeah. Snakes blow my mind. I just like can't even fathom that. Yeah, I mean, there's ball pythons that start off the best they're ever going to look. And then there's uh, many other pythons and colubrids that will start off shitty looking and get better. I don't know. I don't Mark, know what it is Mark about. like shit when they're born. 
there's just certain animals. And I don't know what it is about that, but that honey will get lighter, and it looks like a totally different animal. I mean, from it's not baby even close. Like I thought, yeah. maybe okay, it'd be like a you know muddy, like mustardy, yeah, like you know. I thought, but it has but no dude, sense of yellow. It looks in different it. even coming out of the egg because coming out of the egg, it's wet and it's like dark, and then after two days, it's like cloudy shed, like about to shed type of animal, you know, totally in blue, mm-hmm. and then it sheds again and turns into a different animal. So it's like it comes straight out of the egg. It's wet. It's darker than usual, so it's hard to tell. And then it's in a shed-like state of blue, and that's you, annoying. Because what yeah. if we sell it and it turns out to be like the most beautiful honey in the world? Well, I do and lowest we don't common even denominator, know. so I say I definitely know this has this and this in it, right? And then you may be getting an extra gene if you're lucky. And but even just honey in general, I'm, I'm so, we can't even tell how it. No, will. I can. Oh. You're, you're fucking psychic? Like, no, I just... how can you tell? It looks completely different. Right, right. But it looks consistent with what a honey hatchling would look like. And trust me, you'll have nine more to judge it by. Next so time. Yeah. we'll be able to know. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> we can get into um, our buddy Dan was asking about some jungle projects and Mm. particularly striped jungles so could you let us in on what you're doing in moralia what you're doing in jungles i know you have zebras you got different shit going on so specifically what's going on with your striped uh jungle project so i have a 2012 female from psychotic exotics that has these several sections on her back that are striped and and everything about her uh, lends to stripes perfectly. She's got this creamy uh, black velvet sort of color and this nice canary yellow. So she lends great color to any project. She has the potential to complement nice striping. So I picked up a male this year uh, from Chris Salemi and it was initially sold to him as a female uh, and given how tiny carpets are, sometimes they're a pain in the butt to sex when they're babies. But um, it turned out to be a male, and he kept it, obviously, because it's a quality animal. And um, he purchased the animal from Ed Lilly. And this is uh, the product of a Van Deventer line animal. And uh, Terry Van Deventer is, is notorious for uh, quality striped jungles. So it was a, a Van Deventer line jungle to an ivory jungle that produced this male in 2013 that I have. So uh, Van Deventer jungles tend to be kind of more of like a like a honey gold color and then paired with the ivory, it was like a nice average between the two. Um, so I picked that male up from Chris. Um, so I have uh, good lineage and good striping and color background in that animal. And then I have just this screaming... Uh, selectively bred jungle female from psychotic and i have no doubt in my mind that what will result will be great striping from the sires and uh complemented with uh some excellent color from the dams and and i paired her with a striped male um two years ago that ended up to have a little bit of coastal and i mean those animals were just nuts they're screamers, absurd animals. So she felt well, um, and and this will be sort of the revamping of that project, making it more pure coastal than anything. 
or excuse me, pure jungle. Not <laughs> how dare zero. you, sir? <laughs> how dare I? <laughs> uh, there is no coastal in that. Um, it'll it'll all be jungle. So unless you're of um, the camp that thinks that jungles are coastals, then of course it's all coastal in that. Well, you know, if if a DNA geneticist tells me that they're the exact same thing, I will say okay. Then there's got to be a further subdivision beyond that. But that's that's a whole nother. To us, these are jungles, and it's very phenotypically I mean, what we expect out of a jungle. All I know is that morphologically, they are totally different animals. They're just not the same. There's nothing the same about them. Proportions, mm-hmm. behavior, nothing. But um, yeah, so I've got a, a cool uh, striped jungle project going. I've got a pair of zebras that uh, could go this year, but might look like the following year, uh, depending on the female. She's kind of flirting with the edge of being ready. Um, uh, I have a tiger male that'll be going to a caramel female. Um, what else? What else? Oh, uh, I have a jungle jag female that might uh, meet uh, a diamond coastal jungle sibling from a gamma pairing. So there's some gamma line in there. And the, for those who don't know what gamma stuff is, those are those really bright neon uh, jag uh, crosses. So that'll be like, if it, if it ends up going, those will be some nice looking jags. I'm kind of shying away from jags a bit these days, but um, it's it been something seems I've been like everyone is. It is, and and I think it's okay. I don't uh, I don't wish to see them disappear from the market forever. They're they're pretty important as far as the carpet community goes, as far as the variety. Um, they definitely do have some neuro, but so does the spider gene and yeah. ball pythons, and they make some cool stuff. And they're not for everyone, and people have, have varying opinions. And I think that's important. I think um, it just adds another layer of. Um, of authenticity to, to somebody's projects like this is what you do like this is what you don't like and I think that's I think it's healthy um, as long as people acknowledge you know the the extremes associated with it and that you're never gonna get um, a super jag you're never gonna you're never gonna produce a leucistic that lives you're not gonna magically create a gene that uh, produces functioning lungs in a, a super jag. That's just not possible. So, so don't aim for that. But if people <laughs> understand them, I think, I think they're fantastic. Um, I have one currently. I only had two at, or two or three at most, um, but they're, they're important and they're part of a history of Morelia. So I think it's worthwhile if people are into that stuff to, to still acknowledge them. I don't think it doesn't seem that you have any qualms about crossing species as far as Morelia goes or subspecies rather. Um, but obviously you keep something separate and some things together. So what are your kind of your thoughts and how do you keep what, what, and where's your boundaries with that? Yeah, I, I do have a line in the sand. Um, I think for me, I, I would probably have to really comb my species to double check that I, I'm aligning with what I'm saying here but I feel like a full species hybrid is too much for me a subspecies cross if there is an end game such as a jag project I think is much more acceptable which is the only reason why I have a diamond coastal jungle cross man 
some gamma uh, some gamma stuff and it looks great um yeah it's one thing if it's gamma rather than you know just a regular bullshit yeah cross of some sort and and i i have um i have crosses i i personally would never purchase or breed a bread lie jag for those who don't know brettles are a completely different species so are are brettles your line yeah, that's kind of my line. Um, I would never do a brettle jag, but I think jungle jags are acceptable. And 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 who knows? You know, maybe we'll have this conversation two years from now, and I will, I'll be like, no, okay. no. <laughs> I, the only jag is a coastal jag, and it uh, won't be in my collection either. I mean, who knows? Right. Um, but for for right now, I think my line is at the speciation. Uh, subspeciation, it really depends. I, and then I don't. I think this stays in line with that, but I, I don't support any um, hybridization of species that are not like regularly commercially available, like a Colins or a Coma or any of that stuff. I think those are just straight abominations and like good for you for breeding a Bolins to a carpet python. But seriously, jump off a cliff. Like, fuck you. For well, they were just like, I gotta make something out of this animal. Dude, so let me just breed it to like, whatever. That's just a horrible thing. It's horrible. That's... There's, <sighs> you can't undo that. That thing fucking no. exists. That whole clutch <laughs> exists. That shit is there. You yes. should have... You've ruined history. As a person who has spent enough money to own a Bolins, you would think you have enough fucking respect for the species that you spent that much money on to you not think. do that. You know money <laughs> doesn't equal class. I, I have to think that the people who do that are just like, they're literally sticking a finger in there. Or how many people I can piss off. Yeah, they're there. trying to fuck with us. <laughs> but... The people who are doing hybrids of other species that are like $100 animals, like whatever, do your thing. Like, uh-huh. I really don't want to infringe on people's rights to like keep and do whatever it is they want to do. Like, you do you. Like, for real. You do you. You want to hybridize some shit, go for it. But if you're talking about a species that like 10 people have captively propagated, like, you shouldn't put be your energy, that. put your yeah, energy towards like, that. But yeah, like there's a reason I don't keep Bolin's Python. I could sell everything in here and afford maybe a pair. Maybe. But you don't see me doing that. But if you did, you would take the focus that it took to breed those animals. Yeah, no. To do anything other than that is just silly to me. It's just silly. Mm -hmm. But it it happens. And, And... I don't really want people to think I'm hating on them for that because, like, yeah. to be honest, like, I have no say in what you do with your animals. You can go, you can get a beard dragon, breed it to your Savannah monitor. I don't care. I don't know if that works. <laughs> but someone's going to try it one day. Probably. And that Savannah monitor is not going to be hungry at the end of the day. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, okay, I know so he wouldn't be. Um, there's two questions from the mm-hmm. chat. Um, I don't know if this is a sore subject, but our friend Gustavo asked what happened to the bull snake you had up on Morph Market. Oh, I sold him. 
Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Uh, Gustavo's been looking for bull snakes, so that's oh, why I was eating. Gustavo, man. Uh, look for uh, Travis Johnson. That's what we told him, Living Lecklet. Yeah. Yeah, he's got three or four clutches going right now. He's a really, really close friend of mine. He does uh, localities as well as morphs. Um, the reason he's not up there is because there was somebody out in Montana to put together a nice uh, Yellowstone County, Montana bull snake uh, trio out there, and I figured uh, they're probably better equipped than I. It, it ended up in my uh, possession just sort of out of circumstance. Um, as much as I love bull snakes, uh, I, I can't make room for another project. So, yeah. Um, and then the second question is from Brandon Sander. And by the way, Brandon, I wanted to hit on because he was talking about Carpondros and he likes Carpondros. And I used to not like Carpondros, but then I went to Tony Jerome's house and seeing the 50 50 yeah. jungle to yeah, green trees. Cool. And you're just like, this little fiery demon from fucking hell looking thing is the coolest thing ever. But. But, but outside of Tony's I, collection, you don't like them. <laughs> is what you're saying. That's a hybrid that. Again, I personally wouldn't keep. I would never breed. I would never keep. But I think they're freaking cool. And it's also Tony bred an amazing looking jungle to a great looking green tree. He didn't just take a fucking coastal jungle bullshit from a pet store and bring it to some fucking biok. Well, on the bottom line is, too, we're not releasing these animals out in the no, wild. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? You know, we're all doing whatever the fuck we want to do anyway. So it's but it good. better look cool so, enough. <laughs> yeah. And that was cool. And those yeah. things are really cool. Like, I really like uh, – I actually reached out to Tony talking to him about pop ones because he seemed like uh, when he was on your guys' uh, show – he was asking for people to reach out and I was like, well, I don't have any experience personally owning them, but I've, I've, I've handled a couple of them. And so I talked to him briefly and, um, man, he's, he's got a cool mind about things. And I love that he's the one doing those Carpondros. Those are cool. Yeah. It's Tony's something awesome. where it's like, cause it's Tony. I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> Everyone else. Yeah. He, he seems like a super nice guy. Yeah. Just cause he's obviously so into it. It's not just cause he had those two things. It's like, because he really loves yeah. what the outcome is. But yeah, we'll, and we'll, you yeah, see that through exactly. every like bit of his collection, how Everything, like, yeah. dedicated he is. I mean, mm-hmm. he puts us to shame for how he keeps those things. Everything is three-foot <laughs> cages, white, perfect Beautiful lighting. lighting. <laughs> I mean, all, it's just gorgeous. Yeah. It's like a little museum. This photos are top-notch, too. High yeah. focus, macro with the, uh, the nice little watermark right there. The <laughs> with like amazing dad jokes in the captions <laughs> and stuff. It's, <laughs> his dad jokes. Jokes are seriously They're on so the point. Good. They're great. Um, yeah. Okay, sorry, I didn't actually ask the question, yeah. <laughs> but Brandon um, said, "What about breeding jungles back into jungle jags?" Um, I think that uh, as far as what other people have told me, that's like the best way to really enhance a lot of the yellow and and, and improve them. Um, as far as I know, with jungle jags, the more diamond in there, the more tipping. Um, you'll get and and really cool edging the more jungle you throw in there uh, the brighter that yellow negative space Um, especially if the jungle that you're throwing in there is is of uh, selectively bred designer lines Um, so the the jungle jag I have is a 62 and a half percent so she's the product of a 50 50 jungle jag 
bred back to like a 75% uh, jungle coastal, um, something along those lines. So it's kind of the, that midway. So um, if you were to do a 50-50 as far as like a jungle to a coastal jag, you'll sort of get a baseline of that yellow. And the more jungle you put into that, the, the, the brighter that yellow gets for sure. Yeah, so obviously that mutation will still carry on despite the fact that obviously more coastal blood is be pumped into the animal. So you're getting more jungle blood while still carrying that incomplete dominant mutation. Correct. Yeah, the more the more jungle you throw in there even with the jag, you'll you'll steadily increase the the vibrancy and and the the pronounced effect of that yellow in that negative space for sure. Mm-hmm. So I want to completely switch gears because obviously we're getting Let's to the it. end. Let's do it. But, also, thank you for staying past time. Hey, I'll stay as long as you want. <laughs> but I want to talk about because you have started to get some king snakes. I see. <gasps> oh, I didn't Cali know that. Cali kings oh. at that. Holy shit! Sorry, don't get too sorry. fucking excited. Oh, my, phone, my phone dropped. <laughs> But I didn't know you were into kings. I thought that was your beer. Yeah. I was like, fuck. Yeah. yeah, my first snake when I was uh, eight years old was a tr- very traditional um, black and white banded cow king. Um, and I had that animal for a, a long time despite its uh, frequent outings. Um, ba- that was back before uh, like dominating tanks and things. So it was like you had a little tank with a sliding glass lid and it like or sliding screen lid and it slid in, but there are no clasps. And you just get out like <laughs> it got out for two months one time. And oh shit! The tank set up. We're like, yeah, this thing's fucking gone. And then uh, uh, I hear my neighbor scream like, ah! we run over there, and she's like in her back, like we bolt through her front door, through the living room, through the back. She's seeing her doors up, freaking out. She's like, oh, my God, it fell off the roof. <laughs> and there's my snake. I was like, oh, sweet, later. Well, it's it's one thing for a California king snake to live in California, but I lived in upstate New York when I was little. My corn snake oh, got out, yeah, yeah. and we found it a year later in the summer. We found a corn snake after a year of living in upstate New York <laughs> in my backyard, impressive. dude. That's very impressive. And it was like twice the size. Tony? He didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Oh, or yeah. no, no, it wasn't Tony. It was the one before well, him. Uh-oh. But yeah, so I, I wasn't intending on getting king snakes, and I happened to be at a show, and I was walking around. Uh, I was working with my local pet store, and I was like, ah, I just walk around, and uh, I was walking past the table. I did one of these, I was like, oh shit, hello, and I look, and it's nothing but um, nothing but females on the table, which is odd. Uh, but they're, most of them are non-localities and a few others. And I was like, well, I mean, I really want a pair. I don't know why, because in this state, I have to have a captive bred wildlife permit. Um, but I knew that I wanted king snakes because that's, you know, like, it's just nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I got my start. And i was like well how much is this female there's a non-locality striped female they're like oh 40 bucks i was like okay i want her you have any males i'm like like, the only male we have is because this is the second day so chances are they had more and they sold out the only male we have is this really high white um striped a variant animal over here and i was like 
how much is he? And I'm like, oh, 120. And I was like, well, let me see him. And then pull him out. And he's like, it's freaking bucket list king. Dude, it's like, like A++++ plus 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 fucking yeah, high like, white. Yeah, it's not just a high it. white. I was like, how much for both of them? And they're like, oh, yeah. And I, like, <laughs> I gave him the poker face like I'm thinking about it. But at the same time, like, you I can't pass that shit up. It's happening, but I'm going to make you think about it. Yeah. And they give me like 10 bucks off. And I was like. Okay. <laughs> Pulling my leg. I'll take both of them. And it's, it's weird because <laughs> it's like. And I was like, these are beautiful snakes. Because <laughs> it's like at one point, you know, you're used to Moralia. So you're like, all right, 250 is probably what I'm going to pay for anything that's oh. worth anything. Dude, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. Okay, uh, I have to say, I just pulled, I hadn't looked at this before. And your picture's fucking but we great. Ju- yeah, that was my second question. I just pulled up your Instagram on our computer and I'm looking at it. That is like insanely high white. Like that is gorgeous. Also, second, yeah. how do you get such good pictures? <laughs> and the reflection. That, which photo is that? What's uh, it was posted on February 1st. <laughs> Is it on a, a black? Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, that's black glass. Um, that's a, a sheet of just straight black glass with a uh, strobe light shot behind it. So basically, you set up black glass, you put up a black curtain, you point the strobe away from it so it bounces off the wall. You turn off enough lights in there so you have some light to focus on your subject, but enough where that strobe dominates it. And uh, just for your camera to focus, essentially. And that sounds like a lot of effort. I, I have a buddy who's a, a a camera whiz, and I get to use all of his equipment. He does it professionally, and uh, I I provide him animals for his um, sort of uh, portfolio experimentation and portfolio. Yeah. 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 He, he's really getting a kick out of shooting with the geckos cause they're fun on black glass. But, um, yeah, I, I just use his equipment and I follow his lead and I sort of understand a little bit about like aperture and things. Uh, but this is, so you're a bear. That female, she's got a, a fuzzy in her, from yesterday she's not a locality stripe um she just has sort of that nice black uh standard uh say color proportions as far as the black and white goes but it's just just kind of a a freak stripe it has nothing to do with where she was collected or or her ancestors she's kept it red but um they all uh, they're they're pretty good they're oh, man you guys know you love watching king snakes i dude. love they king snakes they like snow cone the whole thing they eat the crap out of it you're like you you just killed the death out of that dead room <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're like the least trustworthy things but they're little and they're fun <laughs> i don't trust any fun. of mine but <laughs> eh. It's all fun and games, right? Yeah, anything could be food to that thing. It doesn't care. You know, it's funny. Uh, both of my king snakes are are pretty mellow. Both of my children's pythons are also pretty mellow, and those are two notorious for being little finger biters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
My my children's pythons have never bit me, and I've had them for over three years. Yeah, that's that's wild, and I didn't know that you. So you must be getting pretty close to to breeding size on them as well. Oh, they'll breed this coming year. The female actually cycled for me this previous season. I had no intention of breeding her. She was not in a rack where I temp cycled or anything. She just decided she was gonna ovulate and she went through the whole process i saw it all she swelled up like a balloon two years old only recently eats adult mice and uh yeah she's ready to go um so this year i'm actually gonna give them uh give them a crack at it they're tiny they live in 32 core tubs they're tiny I don't know if it's going to be a good idea or a bad idea, considering how big of a pain in the ass the babies are to get feeding from what I hear. Mm-hmm. So I could end up eating these words entirely. But it's so. worth it. But you can get some geckos. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I just I love them. I don't know why. I just They're really cool. freaking like them. They're super cool. My friend uh, Andy Grossman is the one who produced uh, my adults. And he's got like um, the uh, the marble childrens and a few others, and just Antares in general are just fantastic snakes. Mm-hmm. It's worth the headache of establishing babies. Yeah, that's something that I really loved. Um, we saw at Pythons in a Pear Tree or Marco Pinnell's table. He has oh. uh, marble, I believe it's children eye, and I was just oh. like, these are adorable and cool and everything you could ever want. Like, why aren't like people them. into these? It's like 150 bucks, and no one gives a shit. But I'm like, yeah, this is neat. <laughs> it's sad, the price point that they're at, because of the amount of effort that goes into them. And to be honest, if I were there walking around, I would have grabbed at least two tigers from Michael <laughs> and at least a pair of children, because an M-Pen tiger is... That's up there, man. Holy cow. So have you never been to Dallas? Uh, not on vacation or recreation. I've flown in and out of there for work and conferences, but that's it. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, even being here, you're like, we have Michael Pinnell, but we don't have Jason Balin. True. But you guys... But you guys also on the West Coast. I you mean, have California has everything, including. So, yeah, I mean, Nick's up in Washington. Todd's in L.A. Yeah. Um, True. You don't ever need to leave California I mean, for what you need. Germany, so when he comes through to the United States, he's wherever the show is. Mm-hmm. I yeah, just, there's a lot. Yeah, I just think there there's great people everywhere. But luckily, we have the powers of the Internet. But someone like michael pinnell where you're like at the show and oh i need an m pen coastal i'm not even there's your high white there he is i'm trying to i've been coaxing him out gorgeous he's got a fuzzy in him right now so that's your mail yep okay so pretty i love it check this tail out and and the belly's pure white I love his tail because his tail goes black. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> he's like, fuck you, he dude. And you're fucking. <laughs> oh, he's like, this is what the hog does do. I'm going to do it too. I'm <laughs> <laughs> a bastard. There we go. Oh, I see it. Oh, I yeah, saw, it just I changed saw a his color. There you go. Fuck. <laughs> That's cool. He's got the black ventral scales on his tail. What a dick. <laughs> 
and I, I find that even in corn snakes, we have a bunch of pattern mutations that the the pattern actually breaks at the cloaca and then changes yeah, from the he, tail to the end. He's got an almost, I would say, a 95% white belly. And then mm. his tail ventral scales are 100% black. Holy shit, stop. Good God. <laughs> When did you become a king snake? <laughs> yeah, you were talking all this shit before, and now he's making yeah, me eat your words. You he, he, he heard me. What an asshole. <laughs> but it's something like the... You got a hog nose out, and none of us will be able to talk. Because <laughs> they suck. Because they yell the whole time. It's like it's things like that that blow me away as far as... You can have a snake that's as different as that highway king snake... And then have something that's a subtle morph in ball pythons that's so much of a bigger deal. When like king snakes will change their belly pattern, all this stuff, and there's not even technically a mutation. It's just lime bread yeah. stuff right. going yeah. on. It's like, yeah, it's a natural variation. I, that's what uh, that's what has me hooked on carpet pythons. Yeah. Um, if if you, for example, if you wanted to. Um, just pick uh, one subspecies or a locality. Uh, say, for example, you're just like, I just want to work with coastals. You could work with uh, nearly a dozen different localities, half a dozen different morphs, variations of those in between, and then just natural variation amongst um, uh, the subspecies itself. You could really just you could design hundreds of different breeding pairs just around coastals just because of their natural variation. I mean, it's it's absolutely absurd the amount of natural colors and patterns and stripings and localities and this and that. And it all just blends in perfectly. Um, or you can go out and get a little bit of everything and still not even scrape the the surface of like what is fully out there. I mean, you can go even – you get a Brisbane and a fucking Inland, and you're like, this is not the same animal. Dude, Inlands are amazing. I need those. I'm in yeah. Inland <laughs> passing up on those. I had an opportunity to buy some a couple of years ago, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to spend that. I was like, oh, you're – for for anyone who buys a myself. anyone who buys a caramel coastal and doesn't just get a Brisbane or who buys an exanthic and doesn't just get an inland, for some reason it hurts my soul just because it's like people aren't working with the Brisbane's, people aren't working with the inlands, but they do the same exact thing as the exanthic coastals and then also the caramel coastals. In my opinion, I have both, dude, and I will tell you right now, um, I have caramel. I've seen super caramels. I do not own super caramels. I have exanthics and I have head exanthics. And I have seen uh, beyond what I own. Um, and I will tell you the inlands are a different, uh, a di- whole nother level. They they cross the spectrum into sort of like blue. Blue, they're yeah. That, they're that amazing. Um, and if you want red stuff, you need red lie. If you like red pythons, that's you true. need red lie. Anything that's keeping you from that is is a, is a silly little speed bump. <laughs> um, they're just amazing. I mean, you really you. I don't even care what bloodline it is, Lazic, uh, hair, whatever. Just get a bread lie if you want a red snake. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. I mean, Morelli has everything for everyone. You want size? You want 
more manageable you can get it. You can get eight, ten footers. You can also get four footers. You can get color. You can get natural tones. You can get you can get I mean just whatever you I want a melanistic, Riley. What do I do? Go get yourself a hypocoastal. Oh what? shit. I need some of those. <laughs> those things are dude. And hypocoastals are different from carmo, so there's a whole nother layer and it's not done. Like we can't we're closed off to Australia. We're closed closed off. Australia. <laughs> Nothing could ever come here. <laughs> but it's not done. It like, get Morelia. Trust me, people. Trust me, people. So where? We just recently subdivided green trees into two. So there's that. That's a new, new apple to bite into. There's Morelia carinatus. If you want rough scales, there's that. I mean, Morelia. Morelia. For people who want a ball python level of variety... It's a teensy bit more of activity. The variation in size, but you can kind of go either way. I think they're much easier to keep than a ball python. They'll eat all the time and do whatever the fuck you want. He said it first. (laughs) first. (laughs) I mean, there's zero humidity issues. Um, They eat pretty much every time. I keep them 85 degrees instead of like 90 degrees. Like you'd keep a ball python. Uh, they're bulletproof. Yeah. They're, they're studs. So as far as bread lie, since we hit on that a little bit, are you interested in bread lie morphs? Are you working with bread lie morphs or are you just working with separate lines or do you even care about the lines? Um, I do care about the lines. I actually, one of the cool things about Morelli is that it's really um, taught me to appreciate uh some of the work that was done prior to entering this community and because of the closed border status that elevates the value of preserving the work uh, within the genus from those who came before us in my opinion um, maybe not necessarily monetarily the value wise I mean just in terms of preserving something um, I think the the hypo gene, the stonewash gene, the genetic stripe. Um, oh man, I would love to get into it. The reason I haven't is is simply financial on my end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love that there are people who pay attention to documenting Lazic line, uh, Harris line, um. Just paying attention to who who the the different stock came from, even if we know that the only founding animals came from like these four or five animals, the more detail the better. Um, mm-hmm. Whether you cross it or not is is that's up to you. That's that's beside the point. Uh, I try to keep information, even for some of like the more cross projects that try to like at least just know who the parents were and, and what was involved it doesn't have to be about purity um it's just good to know so I, I i like when people maintain lines and localities and things but i also don't poo-poo people who you know cross that or mix it or incorporate it into other projects i mean to each his own do your thing uh, as long as there's somebody who's preserving the original stuff that's good Right. I think uh, me and Stephen, when we talked to Stephen Katz, he was talking a little bit of 
genetic stripe and we were talking about how drab they are now but it's like once you get hypo in there hoping you get a really bright genetic stripe animal would just be great especially i mean you're someone who's working with striped jungles or something like that i mean yeah i mean even seeing a big adult striped female they're dark <clears throat> that's a badass animal <laughs> i don't care who you are you you put put somebody puts an eight foot striped female brittle in your hand your jaw's gonna drop you're gonna be pretty damn impressed yes adding hypo in there will be even more epic yes adding <laughs> stone washing there will just like throw it in there and if i'm not mistaken hypo seems to be one of those polygenic sort of allelic things so the more you throw in there i i could be wrong i don't know i'm i don't want to speak out of turn i just know that when those uh folks working with it when they post hypos for sale they mention whether or not it was from a hypo to hypo pairing or a hypo really? to normal yeah um if you look at uh the 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 people posting hypo uh bread lie available typically they will post whether or not it came from a hypo to hypo pairing or a hypo to uh, a harris line or lesic line or or something of and in my understanding is because that's that's because it's an allelic thing, but I I don't want to commit to that. I don't want to um, misspeak out of turn because I do not work with those uh, those animals in particular. Mm-hmm. As far as Morelia goes, um, what do you look to get into, or even as far as snakes go, uh, what do you look to get into into the future? Um, I want to expand my Brazilian rainbow boas. I really enjoy the species. I like boas. Does that include uh, morse? A little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, it's always been. Uh, I've always really liked the hypos. I actually have a nice um, metallic sort of printing of of a hypo up on uh, above my door that I really like. Um, I like a lot of the polygenic stuff. Uh, to me. Um, anything that Dave calling I'm really interested in simply because I agree with his morals and ethics as far as the hobby goes and he's a really good role model um, and so I, I, I think you can't go wrong emulating a little bit of that um, so I'd like to go that route um, I don't know I feel you on that fact as far as some of the people, like sometimes I talk to a person and it's not so much on the podcast, although it is on the podcast when I talk to Baron's Racers with John Michaels, but yeah, like, <laughs> it's like fucking some people, especially in person and you meet like an old school guy at a reptile show, um, someone like Stu Tennyson, who we had on the podcast, mm, but it's somebody who's probably yeah. never been on a fucking podcast, you know, he's an old school guy, but like. He's legit in every form of the fashion. You're like, I should take a few pages out of this book, you know, and like hope that I have the longevity of this. Also, the focus and like the just thirst for knowledge, even though you're so far into it, like still having so much love for the animal. And the dedication. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we talked. Sorry. You got to turn like, that bitch on. That bitch? Yeah. We're going to call Mike's bitch. You got to call your Mike a bitch. Okay. Sorry. Um,. <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally. No, you cannot have another one. The last one's mine. Okay, go. 
There should be all for me anyway, by the way. They're beat a beer from Louisiana. I, I know this conversation. I do it all Okay, I'm sorry. Girls are mean. <laughs> no, no. I'm just a bad drinker. Also, wait. I've been meaning to ask this whole podcast. What beer are you drinking? It is the Belching Beaver Deftones IPA. Never heard of it. That's intense. But interesting. I shouldn't have had as many of I as I've had. <laughs> That's how we feel. I, I even put in the chat, like, maybe we shouldn't drink 8% alcohol content beers for the podcast. But, yeah. like, this is uh, this is called the Belching Beaver Deftones Phantom Bride <laughs> IPA. 7.1%. Yeah. Yeah. One point. Oh, this is my fourth point. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. That's kind of how we're feeling yeah, right we now. We didn't have tequila before this time. <laughs> um, shit. I felt like we were getting on to something good and you were about to ask was it? No, please. Sorry. I lost it. I lost it. I know I you lost did. It. Something about old school breeders and the dedication. Oh, in, okay, sorry. Boom, yes. we did it. We got it back. We got it back. Thank you. Like, with Stu, we had Stu, and he's been in it forever. Yeah, he still talks about, like, going out and herping for, like, 55 hours to find one fucking snake. And I'm like, yeah. God, I don't want to do that now. Like, I'm <laughs> definitely not going to want to do that when I'm your age. But, like, it, it's cool to talk to people like that who still want to yeah. do that. Well, you see too yeah. many people who get burnt out, I think, and you're like, fuck, man. Like, I don't know. So it's right. like you love to see those kinds of people. Cause it's like, I want to keep it. this going forever. Yeah, I, I – it's – it's funny. I try to talk to people, whoever will listen, and occasionally I meet people that are like they've been in it for decades, and they have this just like kind of bummed approach about it, and I feel like I want to like help them somehow <laughs> rejuvenate that fire, and it's just, I don't know. Yeah. Some people just get burned out, like you said. I guess it's like, I guess especially if you're doing it for a living, at some point, like, those guys seem so stressed out about, because at some point, you have to mix your passion with business, and Mm -hmm. it's kind of... I mean, you you ask anybody, you're going to get a a pretty much a a split sort of tally of people who would be like, yeah, I think I would enjoy it. People would be like, no, that would ruin it. Right. Right, and it's so funny because when I first started, when him and I first started dating, like, and I knew this was his passion and something he wanted to do, you know, as his main job. Eventually, I assumed everyone was like that. I was like, oh, why wouldn't everyone want to make their passion their job? Like, isn't that the best of both worlds? But like through this podcast, I've learned how many people like, no, like if I make it my job, then it's not my passion anymore, and that kind of yeah, sucks. Yeah, for sure. I think it all comes down to everybody's personality. Like some people, like I think me personally, I would eat it up. I think that'd be fantastic if I had a big chunk of property where I could devote to tortoises, crocs, this, that, that, whatever, you know, really diversify a little bit more than I am now, but have a big building that's devoted to sort of my passion projects. I think that's what I feel like the successful people I see is they have a bread and butter but they also keep things that keep them engaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 then I think there's a little bit of whether or not the market aligns with True. what you do. This and and I think that that alone is something you cannot uh, predict. So 
you uh, let's say you find yourself just overly infatuated with blue tone skinks, uh, leopard geckos, and ball pythons. Well, you know, you've got a great uh, market base to really succeed, as opposed to somebody who comes in and is like, "Well, I really enjoy uh, green anacondas." Uh, Even Madagascar and hogs, if you were to go Madagascar all in. Madagascar and hog nose, uh, <laughs> Vietnamese, blue beauty. You're just like, all of a sudden, you're like, you're talking to people who are like, what the hell did you just say? Right. And it's game. So um, there, there is a little bit of the market trend that it influences that. I just, I love, I love seeing people who keep corn snakes. Because I, I don't know why I don't know why I love it because I've never kept a corn snake. That's fucking and all ridiculous. I hear from other people is like they're like I hate corn snakes they're so basic. It's because you haven't kept them in fucking forever or you've never. What is that voice, Munchkin Land? About them and these things seem to be hardy as hell and there's like dozens of morphs like I don't know anything about them so I saw all your posts this morning I was like. Dude, what is this? What is, I don't know anything about this. It's like mahogany and gray, and you're like, this is probably a normal. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> what? Like, and, and my friend um, Ryan Dumas of uh, Rad Reptiles, he has uh, Oak D Hunt Club corn snakes. I'm like, what the what the shit? And, you're and those are just rough scales. And locality, man. Yeah, and he pulled he posts photos. I'm like, those are gorgeous. Yeah. And I think I, I just I appreciate that a lot more when somebody's into something that's obscure, not because it's popular. Yeah, I think there's something to even the most common things. You can get deep enough to where you can have an appreciation to where like no one knows that corns are as versatile as they are. They're arboreal, mm-hmm. terrestrial, fucking. Mm-hmm. They're up during the night during the day they're all over the place they eat whenever you want they're everything they're intelligent um people think that pythons are somehow above them and i have plenty of pythons and i love pythons but colubrids are more highly evolved forms of a python they're more highly evolved snakes and it's they're super intelligent and you don't give them enough credit and that goes for most colubrids because nobody likes colubrids anymore because those aren't cool for whatever reason well well, think about like a lot of the old school herpers a lot of the guys that have sort of shaped the market the majority of them if not all of them started out in colubrids if not Mm -hmm. still like sort of pursue that on their own time I mean I'm friends with Todd uh, at Psychotic and every time I would go visit and talk to him I mean inevitably the the discussion would end up going back to rubber boas and milk snakes ah rubber boas and uh uh, uh, fucking what the shit uh damn it not rubber (laughs) boas but uh like rosy boas there you go oh fuck yeah Uh, dude He's all about rosy bows and gophers and all that. I mean, I don't know what. It, I mean, maybe my sample size is small, but some of the people that uh, seem to appreciate a lot of the like diehard, like natural snakes are the mm-hmm. people that are into colubrids. And they're all 55 plus. So, what does that say to us? <laughs> 
You know, this someone is, has to. I'm 16 years ahead of my time. It says you're an old man at heart. <laughs> and my comment isn't going to be as effective now, but it was going to be effective a couple of minutes okay. ago when, Riley, you talked about, like, you like people who are into stuff that's not as popu- popular. Well, this dude right here is dude. he was born with that gene i think of being into Going stuff that isn't popular this yeah. motherfucker is a jets fan which is like oh, the sorry. stupidest shit in the whole world super bowl two hell of a year hell of a year I'm a fan, so there's like, decades where i understand that like, pain he's from new york yeah he's a jets like i don't know and then it like to reiterate, he's from New York, yet he's a New Jersey Devils fan, which is whole like he loves oh. he loves being even though he's gotten me into the Devils, but like he loves being the like fan for shit that everyone around him doesn't like. Ouch. So maybe that's why like he likes corn snakes. <laughs> hey, all I know is that the majority, if not all of the people I know that have kept corn snakes have never messaged me asking for husbandry advice or questions. <laughs> it's not eating, it's sick, whatever. It never happens. Never. I love the never. fact that most zoos, at least the ones here in Texas, their corn snake exhibit is like, there's like a hoe in there. It's like a barn with like a bunch of tools and shit. It's like, yeah. just basically, just put a corn snake in your house. It will have the same husbandry as it does in the zoo exhibit. Because yeah. they're just I like, fuck it. It's like that. Yeah. They're just like, corn snakes love to be in abandoned houses and barns. Like, they don't give <laughs> one fuck. Damn, where you put them. <laughs> they're good. This spot right here? Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Just give me yeah. mice. Oh, yeah. There's food coming in like three months. Bring it over here. Bye. <laughs> yeah, that's why they're awesome, and they have so many different fucking looks. Yeah, they're uh, pretty cool. Overrated I, for sure. I will. Sure. I will support corn snakes to the death. Oh, to the death. To the death. A lot, man. I mean, I already have to support it so much, being your freaking girl. Do you know how hard it is to be a girlfriend of a snake owner, man? I got to support him to the death already, okay? Is your um, girl, <laughs> is your, is it a girlfriend, wife, he fiance? Wife. He said wife. Uh, it might as well be a, any of the above. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good and bad answer, probably. <laughs> yeah, at, this, at this point, I mean... My my family already refers to her as like the fiance, niece, whatever. It's, it's just a matter of time. But yeah, she um, so she is a, a zookeeper, but she was not a, a big reptile person per se. Didn't mean she was averse to them. And when we started dating, I had twenty something ball pythons, a dozen or so carpets, and a few odds and ends, and. Uh, I hatched out my first ball python clutch while we were just starting to date and um, it was pinstripes and normals and I sold everything but one male uh, normal and she didn't like the fact that he was literally worth nothing because he's a normal (laughs) male. but he was literally the first animal that that pipped his head out the egg and so here we are you know however many years later and she still has him mm. um i still have the, the who's in this tub right there um 
so we've kept him and and so she now has a Russian tortoise. We have a couple crested geckos. She has guinea pigs. She has guinea pigs. I have <laughs> not guinea pigs. Um but yeah, she's she's supportive of what I do as long as it like stays in the room. Like I've got a, a an extra bedroom, uh quarantines in the living room. Uh, and then her ball python lives in our bedroom. I think that's it's funny cool. how that works, though. Even though she's cool, obviously she's a zookeeper with animals. She's yeah. still not 100% cool with the fact of reptiles. She's not like 100% gung-ho with everything. No, and I, I probably didn't make things easy on her because while we were in Santa Barbara, I worked plenty of shows. And so for those weekends, it was like, I'm going to be in Pomona. And I told her, you do not have to worry about the snakes. I have to let things go. But being a good person, she would she would go out of her way to do that, and it never ended well. Oh, no. She would she'd put herself in harm's way even when I told her not to. Um, and she, I'd come back, she'd be like, this fucking jungle bit the shit out of me in your goddamn savannah monitor chewing on my sweatshirt. <laughs> oh, God. I told you you didn't have to do anything. Um <laughs> Uh, so she's a saint like she's really put up with a lot and and i told her when we when we first got our own place uh when we were down in santa barbara i said as long as i have a reptile room um i don't care what you do with the rest of the place and and that seemed to to be the like the right thing to say uh and so that worked for a while we were down there when we moved up here i said the same thing i was like as long as i have a reptile room we're good and up in the bedroom, the quarantine ended up in the living room. Quarantine gets used, incubator's empty, so you know I pay the bills. Well, good. So, yeah, I mean that's how we roll. It's we have an extra bedroom, and then that seems to be a good way to do it. Yeah. Right. You're yeah. not looking at me happy right I'm now. I'm looking but... at you because that's not how it's always been. They were in our bedroom for a solid oh, bit. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're talking yeah. to me. They were in my bedroom for like six I mean, years was, before you came yeah, around. Before I came you. around, but then they were in our bedroom. <laughs> I lived in a place. Uh, it was. I had the master bedroom in there. It was probably like a 14 by 12 foot room with a bed like up against the wall. Everything circumvented the the bed like floor to ceiling, and for like three or four months, her lease was up, and she decided she was going to tolerate living with, with me <laughs> in that place. Well, it was a three bedroom, one bathroom, three gentlemen, and a collection of eighty snakes. <laughs> yeah, so she was a champ. That's pretty good that she stuck it through through that. That's pretty yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I owe her big time eternally. So, <laughs> so, so needless to say, things have only gone gone up and gotten better. But uh, she, you know, she has her investment in them. We we rescued some crested geckos, um, literally from the roadside that are that are hers. Uh, so, and and she has a Russian tortoise and. She she appreciates reptiles. She's worked in the zoo field, so she, you know, there's no love lost anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, I purposely sign up for the brunt of all the cleaning and nastiness, of course. 
Yeah. I mean, we do the same. Even though most of the Cali Kings, I bought the dotted Cali King, but you bought the other two Cali Kings, <laughs> yeah. right? I buy, I buy them. He takes care of them. Yeah. So it's like she's okay. she loves the Cali Kings. I don't know if it's because she loves them or because they're the only ones that she paid for. <laughs> no. She probably loves the fact that she bought them and you're cleaning them. Yeah. <laughs> I love them before we buy. I, I don't know. Colubrid shit a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then the cow kings, but at the least the ones that easy. we have. But I mean, someone in our chat is talking about that. Like they should. He's like, you know, they don't eat much, but they shit a bunch. But to me, their shit isn't bad. I mean, compared to our fucking olive python, holy crap! I look at the shit of you that thing. Dri- you need dries. <laughs> olive pythons would be a cakewalk if you had dries. Yeah, no. Bro, I've never turned off the computer before, but we just turned off the computer and blew a fuse all in the we, same. Yeah, somehow we blew a fuse. I have no idea how. We but... have all the thermostats going on in here, and we do this show clearly yeah, every, every week. Every week. I can see you've got electricity going. I can see it in that. Yeah, but for a second, it was all gone. <laughs> Literally, this whole room, all the electricity was gone. That's dope. I now that was on the phone. Uh, yeah. I, I have people messaging me telling me, keep going, we can see you. You're, <laughs> <laughs> You're still on. I'm like, oh, I hope I wasn't just picking my nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what the fuck just happened. I guess we just got too excited. <laughs> hey, it, it happens. It happens. All right, so how can we wrap this up appropriately? <laughs> Holy shit. What's Sorry. like a what's oh, like good no. questioning? What you got oh, there? Man. You just made a huge mess. Oh. Uh it's one of my hog notes. Oh, Ew. This is the one who actually eats off the tongs. So that's a pretty large snake. <laughs> yeah, he's the size of a bull snake. Yeah. He's a big boy. I think that's what's kind of cool about them. They have so much, uh, the pattern resembles a bull snake. So, so he has a lot of pattern. Um, as, as far as the animals that I, I have, he's the most uh, contrasted in, the most pattern. Um, the one I worked with at the zoo was completely black, melanistic all the way through with the exception of some uh, white belly scales. So mm. I would imagine that's sort of the spectrum. Um, this being probably more of the norm. These guys have some pretty heavy scars, too. Like, all my animals have bite marks in them. Like, something's chewing on these snakes out in Madagascar. I don't think there's... um, I had an animal similar to that, but uh, from Nigella, which I think is off of Madagascar. I had a Candoya Carinata. Yeah. Had a big old fucking chunk out of its back and Uh didn't give one fuck. Yeah. Just said, have a nice day. Let me go about my fucking life. Yeah. He had a nub tail and a fucking chunk out of his back. Didn't give one fuck. Um, (laughs) Dan asks, show a striped jungle. So that okay. would be one of the last things, if you can. I can. Um, I'm going to have to take my headphones off. and Go for it. And we'll talk. Yeah, yeah. So I'll go grab him because he's technically in quarantine, but he's he's more than beyond due for uh, for clearing and, and mm-hmm. based, based on where I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. 
Well, if anything happens, it's our fault, clearly. <laughs> well, no, he's the only reason I haven't moved him uh, into quarantine is just because I haven't had the time to set up his tub. I got it mm-hmm. ready to go. He's he's beyond clear. It's just uh, it's just I do things on my weekends. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'll go grab. I got you. Sweet. Um, and while he's gone, let's apologize officially. I guess on if you're listening to this on the downloads <laughs> later, you won't actually notice. And, yeah, you'll cut it in the. Well, you can cut this part cut too it. in the downloads. But for people watching live, like, thank you for staying on while our uh, electricity yeah, bunch just of champs, huh? decided to tell us that we were using too much. And yeah, like well, I don't get what tripped it because we're not using anything. It's not that like we're anything not changed yeah. that we haven't been using for the past two hours. This um. Where we live is like the minimum of everything. <laughs> like, just what can put a place together that looks good? It looks but it really doesn't right. It looks really great. good, but it's all yeah. fake. We've tripped too many break. Well, plus we use much more electricity than normal human. But uh, <laughs> if no one remembers, we during brumation we had a fuse trip and basically our whole collection was down to like 36 degrees that's pretty bad um, pretty scary it was it was a little it was a little scary it was not the best situation but uh that's the situation we survived it yeah and we'll see if our next location's any better and we were 100 percent on our breeding so did we have any we had we had slugs on the hognose but that's just because they're fucking hognose and they suck but also, we look really dark. If you want to turn a light yeah, on right now, we babe, turn a light on. That'd be great. I'll just keep talking. Um. So last week, oh, here's Riley. Never mind. I don't have to talk about last week. All right. Okay. Straightened out. Sat on my microphone. Yeah. Um, there we go. I think you can see a bit of that there. Yeah, that's a pretty solid stripe. I mean, it's it's all the way through. I don't think it breaks until uh, kind of around the bottom here. Um, he's kind of got it pretty much straight behind the neck he has ivory blood in him which is a a polygenic sort of thing Uh, there are several lines of ivory but uh, Nick Mutton is most uh, most famously known for uh, having basically bred ivory for almost 25 years now I think and I mean finally Um, unleashed that picture that pretty much broke the Moralia internet (laughs) that that thing is black and white yeah, it makes xanthics look like crap. Yeah. Um. So there is ivory in this animal, which is probably the reason why uh, it is as yellow as it is. Uh, the Van Deventer line of stuff tends to have a lot of uh, more of a like, sort of like a honey gold color to mm-hmm. it, a lot like the. Um, a lot like the Palmerston stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not as brightly yellow. That bright yellow neon and and crisp velvet black is very much a, a result of selective breeding. So, um, considering this animal has 
less of that designer approach to it uh, and and how nicely striped and yellow does this animal will pair nicely with that that feel that I have. Um, that's going to be absurd. I'm going to have a really hard time letting anything go from that one. So, I mean, there's fun. no one who's working with stripe that much, and then there's no one working with a bright yellow line of stripe. So working that into that project, I think, would be a big deal. Yeah, you tend to get one way or the other. You get localities of striping where people are are going straight for the Palmerston striping or just the bright color. Um, Amanda Kingsbury has been doing a few pure jungle uh, nicely striped projects where she's finally, uh, in the last few years, been getting some really nice babies that have like killer striping and have that designer black and yellow. Um, and some of those I was eyeballing and wasn't able to pick up this year. It's, you know, life. But life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so. so what will you be looking for in those babies? What comes first, full stripe or coloration? I think first generation of these will be full stripe. Uh, I think uh, adding color into something like that is the, the lesser of challenges given where we are with captive breeding. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And since we are getting on three hours, yeah, <laughs> which we I don't do just that, had to type in the chat like I need I need to end this. <laughs> so. Is there anything, any parting words or anything that you'd like to tell everyone or even any words of wisdom as far as snake keeping or anything on your end? Yeah, if, if anybody's averse to keeping covered pythons because somebody told them so, at least give them a shot. Try them out. Don't let anybody dissuade you from keeping a species that you're at least curious about. Um, keep anything that tickles your fancy. Try it out. If it doesn't work. That's okay as well. Um try things you never know what what you really enjoy and just because somebody said it's bitey doesn't mean it really is uh carpet pythons are sort of my quintessential uh species of snake and i think a lot of people could could really enjoy them so give them a shot okay i'm eating my words on ending this podcast but our friend brandon had a question and i always have to ask his questions um he yeah. said he wanted to know why you don't have any liasis uh because i'm poor <laughs> <laughs> that's why i don't have stuff trust too. me <laughs> i I have uh messed with water pythons i've messed with olives mac lots uh, I've interacted with everything liasses at one point or another. If I really could, I would have olives. I would have apodora. I would have uh, several pairs of water pythons. I would have several pairs of maclots. I would I I would be an unhealthy level of uh, accumulation on liasses if I had the space. They are fantastic. They are brilliant. They're intelligent. And I have had the opportunity to at least uh, interact briefly with the majority of them. And uh, his question is valid. I, I really don't have a good excuse. <laughs> I think that goes no, for being, 
being poor is a great excuse. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, but at the same we time... We are poor and like, have liasses. So. room and, and then heard me say, I'm poor, you'd slap me and be like, you're an True. idiot. True. I was very surprised we, you saying that. We all that. have an extra bedroom that we have just for <laughs> snakes. Like, that is the definition of not poor, but we're still poor. <laughs> I mean, I have... I have an exanthic zebra. I have albinos. Yeah. <laughs> I have striped jungle. I mean, I'm not. I'm not poor in life and reptile experiences. I'm poor financially. <laughs> in my bank account. I am wealthy in reptile experiences, and that's what matters to us, not the you rest of what? the world. To be honest, the most important thing that I've found over the last few years is how many people reptiles have connected me to, regardless of what you keep, where you draw a line in the sand, whatever. I've met. More and more people over the last few years working with reptiles that I call my friends beyond any other community of anything ever, period. So, I just, God damn it, this fucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, reptiles, Absolutely. Okay, so Riley, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, where should they connect with you? Uh, Instagram and Facebook are probably the easiest ways you can find me on facebook uh under either just my personal profile riley jimison or uh under my business page riley's reptiles uh on instagram it's riley's reptiles on youtube you can find me under riley jimison uh i have a twitter as well but i'm not sure what it's under so one of those two fish and you know shoot in the dark you'll get there um, but honestly, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I love talking reptiles and people. If if I'm with my girlfriend and she's yelling at me, I can't talk. Uh, she takes priority, but I'm happy to speak with people day and night about reptiles. So if you want to message me on Facebook on my personal page, go for it. My cell phone number is six five zero four eight three one zero zero three. Seriously, <laughs> Brandon's about to call you. He's gonna call you and I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> if I don't respond, that doesn't mean that I uh, don't want to give you my time. It's because I'm either sleeping or going to the bathroom or having dinner. <laughs> Literally. Just to let you know, Brandon lives in California. He, we had Stephen Katz on. He met Stephen Katz the next day. Brandon <laughs> shows up somewhere. Our friend Brandon, yeah. not Brandon Wheeler. Yeah. 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 yeah Brandon, he might. Uh, Sander, right? Nope. No, there, we know no. three Brandon. Secret Brandon. Different. Secret Brandon. I know so Bra- a lot of Brandons. I'm I'm terrible with names, so I, and, I thought I would try that yeah. one out, but I guess I flopped. Yeah, no. There's a ridiculous amount of Brandons in the snake community. It's weird. How many Rileys do you know? One. There you go. <laughs> Number one forever. For now, for now, until I point it out, and then like forty of them come out. <laughs> but thank you for being on and staying on an hour. You definitely get the award yeah. for the long. This is our longest podcast no, ever. Michelle went three hours as well. Really, I. What I let it? Go. I didn't think I'd ever let one go that long. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, hey, he's a good guy to talk to for three hours. It's good yeah. Company. It's mainly me because I usually get hungry. That's okay. Um. I so I have to. Like he right. If I wasn't here, every podcast would be three hours. I usually stop it because I get hungry. But. <laughs> <laughs> but. I ate before this one, so it made it better. Smart. Oh yeah, Travis Johnson was a long one too. Yes, Smart. his did go long. Nice. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on. And I think despite it being three hours, we have even more to talk about. 
with you, so yeah. we'll definitely have to have we you on again. We didn't on Oh, I didn't even pull out a cream of That's right. Yeah, we yeah. definitely have to have you back on, and there's more to talk about. But um, hopefully we'll make it out to California soon, or you'll make it to well, North. I'm gonna Pomona or the whatever. Well, the so you West guys Coast are moving out to PA. I need to get out. There. I was about to say That's you need true. to come to Northeast Carpet Fest yeah. next year. Yeah. Now we have an excuse to be like everyone just come. Come. To- <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna lie. There is an outstanding bet about some of us Cali this year. So mm. well, Brandon was there, right? Yeah, Brandon Wheeler made it. Yeah, as far as Tinley goes, there's another one. Okay. If if some of us don't show up to Tinley, somebody is gonna be upset. <laughs> Between the two of those, we'll meet all of you guys at yeah. some point. I need to get out there because that's kind of like everything like filters out through California from the East Coast. So anything that we get seems to have like a couple year lag from you guys. So we need huh? to we need to remedy that. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, also, if anyone wants to reach out to us, obviously, Port City Pythons, YouTube, yeah. Instagram, <laughs> Facebook. If you want to email us, it's theportcitypythons uh, at gmail.com. Yeah. We will have babies posted on our website, Port oh, City Pythons. Oh, think- <laughs> oh <laughs> shit. Just got bit in the face. Damn it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. We will have babies posted very soon on portcitypythons.com. This is getting get a carpet python. They're nice. They're great. (laughs) Um, Thank you, everybody, for your continued support. We super appreciate it. And thank you for watching this podcast. We will see you next week on Monday at 6 p.m. Central. I don't know. And whatever all the other times are. <laughs> Thank you, Riley, so much. We'll talk to you later. Well, we'll Thanks still be on, on but oh. everyone on the chat. Okay. <laughs> that was a good way to end it. Oh, fuck. And you just almost broke a beer bottle. Awesome, babe. Oh, almost cool. is better than not. Not. Thankfully, we have carpet floors, so it didn't break. So it's yeah. just a stain. It's not a brick. And it was an empty bottle, so I don't even know if it'll be a stain. But it's nine o'clock. I'm actually hungry now, so let's 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 wrap this up. Thanks, man, for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is fun and dealing with all the shenanigans.